Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, October 7th, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part Chepe space, we are the cosmos. Let's take a listen. Hey guys, feel free to hop up, hang out, talk cosmos, or whatever else you guys want to get questions on or anything else. I'm waiting for some folks to hop on, so we'll give it a minute here. Hey, Jets, what's up? I don't remember if we've had a chance to yeah, talk we, before. We spoke before, bro. How do you how do you feel cool. about that that Binance thing last night, man? Crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the like every time a bridge problem happens, it's kind of the um, it's kind of the I guess proof that uh, like Cosmos IBC makes sense since uh, like bridgeless messaging is sort of the the way of the of, of the cosmos essentially so pretty much that's these bridge hacks are just expected to happen pretty much um yeah i mean it's so early it's like not early but it's still pretty early for, for everything kind of kind of yeah it's, it's a little bit it's a little too early for half a billion dollars to disappear that, here that, and there right <laughs> that's crazy man that's crazy <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, they caught up with it kind of quickly, but then they have to censor wallets. They got to, um, you know, they've got to get cooperation from all these other blockchains where people like, you know, where they absconded with the funds and shit. So it's just yeah. kind of a funny thing. Yeah, I mean, they were on their shit like to to secure everything after it happened. But it's like that type of stuff is going to happen, you know, like like we're really yeah. experiencing the future of of this shit you know but, it, but it's kind of bullshit DeFi, right it's not like like every time something happens it's um you have to have all these like central control mechanisms to fix it and secure funds and whatever um yeah, if it wasn't binance if it was like like another exchange bro i don't know if they would have been able to secure everything so quick you know no yeah they have probably a majority of the control of the validators or or like a easy way to catch all of them Cause I think there's a fair, like a handful of validators, like less than 50 or something. So it's not hard for them to sort of gain control back, but yeah, it was a, kind of a clusterfuck, I guess. I don't know how much funds ultimately wind up getting lost or whatever, but it actually can wreck, um, it can wreck other systems too. Cause when you run off with a huge amount of money at one time, you can uh, use that money as collateral and borrow against it and then take other um, coins and things and ship them off to wherever you feel like it, right? And then you can do that over multiple chains and stuff. So there's almost no way to recover all of it, um, especially if you're talking about permissionless uh, information where there isn't anyone to actually do this. So like before they do these kinds of um, like thefts or whatever, uh, usually there's a plan laid out as far as like the... Um, you know, how they're going to actually deploy those funds and 
go go take those to as many places as possible and steal as much shit as possible. Um, there's a whole plan. So I don't know, like some of those are North Korea. Uh, like you never actually find out who did what. And that's not an uncommon situation. So anyway, yeah, it, it, it happens. But, you know, it can happen to any chain technically. Um, like what are you going to do about it ultimately uh, at the end of the day? It's, it's almost impossible to prevent all problems, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But um, oh, hey, Jade's here. Let's see if she wants to come up here. Um, yeah, I don't know if. Uh, so, have you been around Cosmos a long time? I've been it since like, like early May when I when I heard about uh, Luna Classic and this kind of. Actually, I had Adam. Then my shit got like locked in Voyager, man, and I bought it at like five dollars and or four dollars or something. And now it's it's like. <laughs> 12 bucks and yeah well, voyager's, voyager's been a clusterfuck and of course like jade's here she she did a video on celsius being a clusterfuck yeah, like, yeah i just seen these them. two are uh, I seen quite, them. quite frustrating hey jade hi guys i'm just um driving to work at the moment uh, oh okay so uh but thanks for doing this uh, maybe we can do it again uh tonight just um i noticed there's so yeah yeah much with cosmos and i was feeling a bit overwhelmed it's like a brand new world um and there's a lot i need to catch up on because i kind of took the summer off from d5 you know i was just trying to stack up some cash after you know getting pretty wrecked like everyone but i'm glad that i took my time and i'm ready to you know start learning again and i don't think you have to know everything about everything i think uh i think the better way to look at it is uh, Cosmos is sort of like the shopping mall and, uh, not everything that is at the shopping mall you care about. <laughs> like you don't have to go to every store and what, and, and buy everything. I think it's a matter of just figuring out like what's useful for, um, like you as an individual and then deciding, um, what's worth using for the utility, what's use worth using for like an investment purpose and, uh, like which ethos do you believe in? I think it has more to do with that stuff than necessarily knowing everything about everything. I sure as hell don't know everything about all the different chains on Cosmos, nor do I invest in most of them. I think I've got like uh, money and maybe at this point, like maybe like seven chains in the Cosmos, maybe Uh, certainly not all 50. Um, Like I don't have anything on say crypto.com or Binance smart chain or some of these other things. So yeah, it's um, uh, it, 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 you, you you don't have to get too overwhelmed by the whole thing. I think most people can uh, point each other in the most towards the most interesting stuff in Cosmos and kind yeah. of which one which, which uh which coin would you recommend like the most? Mm, well, um, I think as far as like uh, immediate narrative, immediate developments, um, and a lot of buzz as far as new value capture, I think that would be. Um, the kind of the blue chip, most liquid thing is clearly Adam. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Um, is it the thing that will have like the most growth potential? Maybe not. Like, you know, you have a lot of like low market cap things that could do better in the short term. So if the overall market goes up, the smallest market cap stuff goes up oftentimes the most. Um, the tricky thing about, uh, blockchain though, going the next three, four, five years, is that uh, chains are becoming a commodity, essentially. Um, Cosmos has essentially made it so that anyone can spin up a chain. 
like within a within a month, you could reasonably spin up a chain, especially with the new, like like with Avalanche subnets or with um, like with Cosmos um, consumer chains and things like that that are coming out in January. So uh, differentiating, it, it's like almost like blockchains will be as common as DApps in in many ways. You know how there's decentralized applications all over the place. Um, and you don't find that most of them are going to have like a lot of value capture. They're not going to, you're, you're not going to make mega bucks in them or have like a, a lot of sense of, um, like a, a huge market fit for each one of them because they're all niche products. Uh, I think blockchains are basically becoming that. So I think finding the stuff that, uh, really is going to do well longer term, uh, is actually fairly difficult. Um, so yeah, in Cosmos, like Adam has you know, uh, a lot of liquidity and it's on almost every exchange. So it's easy to get in and out of it. Um, so I, I think the fungibility essentially is really decent with Adam, not so much with all the others. Like you can't find like, for example, I don't know if you're on the crypto.com chain, you know, it's like, you're not going to find crow everywhere. Um, it's probably something you might use if you like crypto.com for whatever reason. Um, or if you're on, um, I don't know, Juno, it's more of a community chain. Uh, but at the same time, like a lot of American exchanges don't have Juno yet. So you have to get Adam first and then you have to go to, um, you know, your wallet and then kind of exchange it either on Osmosis or on on, um, on a DEX like uh, JunoSwap. So, yeah, there's some steps that have to be taken in order to get to some of these chains, um, which like almost always if you just look pay attention to how people behave around here on crypto twitter um like the more steps people have to take the less interested they are like they're like uh, the longer it takes the barrier to en- the, the bigger the barrier to entry the less likely that that particular project will grow quickly at the same time it's like if you getting in early means that like you're in chains that are not everywhere right if say for example juno or something like that um, does become bigger and bigger over time. Um, you want to get in before it's listed everywhere. Um, Cause when the barrier to entry goes down, usually price goes up um, just based on people just playing around and buying things. So um, yeah, there, there, there's sort of like a, the, there's always a, um, a price to pay for being early. And that price is, one is extraordinary volatility. So you'll buy something at $3 and it'll go to 10 cents. Like, and then it go from 10 cents to $10 and stuff like that. So extraordinary volatility is something that's like a standard for that. And then the other thing is it's not available everywhere. So, um, you know, you got you to gotta get to the past that barrier of entry. Um, and also there's no guarantee on small projects that they're going to do well long term. Like there's nothing implicit that says that just because you make a blockchain, everyone's going to show up and play. Like that's like building a, I don't know, a hotel and assuming everyone's going to come live in it or whatever. Um, you know, so it's like these things have to execute as a business. They have to become popular. They have to um, spread virally. They have to, um, you know, they have to acquire those new users somehow for a price to go up and for value to be be captured. Um, another big sort of general philosophy over the next few years is how much revenue does a, a, a chain actually produce? So if a trading platform or whatever is producing lots of fees, um, then they have a, a, a way to make money, then they can pass that income on to users or owners of the 
the coin or whatever um, in the form of profit. Um, but those chains that only have inflationary rewards will always rely upon um, lots of new users to show up. Um, but they're not necessarily like capitalizing on existing users very well. So it, it just dep- it just varies. So revenue is a big thing. Um, in, in crypto in general, only a few things generate revenue. Um, like, for example, lending and borrowing markets generate revenue in the form of interest payments or in the form of yield. Um, you, have, uh, tra- you have trading, which, of course, centralized exchanges have um, captured a lot of that revenue. Um, but uh, order book platforms that like, uh, have actual trading on them, I think, will capture more and more revenue away from centralized exchanges like the Binances of the world or the Coinbases. Um, I certainly have way more um, trades on decentralized exchanges now than I do on my uh, on something like a Coinbase. So, um, you, you, so revenue and where does it come from in crypto? Um, we we have so few real world uses for uh, for these things that um, you know, like how many actual revenue generating businesses are there besides trading, lending, and borrowing markets in the DeFi space? Um, there aren't that many. NFT sort of brought in some revenue uh, in the sense that you're buying a piece of art. You're selling a piece of art. There's a marketplace. There's fees. So think of like eBay would be like the example there um, or maybe like an Etsy or something like that where people make art and sell it. So there's some Web2 corollaries that generate revenue. Um, and, and, you know, like are those going to be sufficient revenue long term to to you know, be worth investing in as far as projects and protocols and stuff, possibly. Um, although there's no proof of that necessarily. Like um, I think the, the phrase always is, well, we're kind of early and therefore like NFT projects and everything will be fine because so few people care about this yet that maybe in five, 10 years, a lot more people will care um, and, and be using these things. Um, Although when you look at like five, 10 year timescales, it's really tough to tell what, what's going to generate the future revenue because like, um, I don't know, if you look at like the streaming music industry, you look at MP3s, you look at like compressed audio, um, streaming video and all the different things like uh, people didn't do a particularly great job predicting the timing and the evolution of that um, over the past 20 years. And I don't know if people are going to predict really well, like what the new NFT platforms or whatever in the long run are going to be. Um, so it's, it's hard to know that even anything that's out there today is going to be the thing of tomorrow necessarily. So, yeah. So revenue in the, but, but from the perspective of revenue, at least you're producing a piece of artwork, someone's buying it. There's a buyer, there's a seller, and there's a product being sold, which is a, you know, either a music video or, image related nft i can see where that could lead to significantly more business transactions over time but um outside of that like think about it like crypto related utility there's a few networks like flux or you know akash or something like that that provide like a utility and you pay for them with a certain type of crypto but that would be in the minority of um, cases where there's an actual utility yet but yeah jets go ahead yeah, dude, I just, I just think it's like, it's like, dude, I'm actually really like blessed to, to, to find, dude, like I see the vision, Sefi, like I really see the vision, bro, like, like Adam and the cosmos and shit, bro, like, I'm glad I'm able to, 
to find like the right people to to, to to know all this stuff, man. Like I'm definitely like when bro, once Luna Classic goes up, bro, I'm gonna start profiting and like like buying like more uh like like Adam and Juno and start like investing and start uh like staking with Luck Dow for sure, man. Like you guys are you guys are really on your shit, bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the uh, Lunk is pretty much mostly Bruce. <laughs> like, I don't have any direct relationship. <laughs> it's just Bruce, it's yeah. just Bruce, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just it's just a validator. Um, it, it's, it's actually funny because there's not an actual Dow. It's just a funny name that he created, um, <laughs> just as a joke about Dow's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the uh, yeah, there's all sorts of uh, uh, interesting developments coming along. I think if you pay attention. You'll you'll find like the early um, um, early alpha in terms of things to jump into. Um, I know uh, I'm interested in like so. What am I interested? In? I I think Celestia, which is basically modular uh, blockchain, looks really interesting. Um, like what I, I think the general idea with Celestia is, if you have to upgrade part of the network, you can actually you can actually upgrade just part of the blockchain, not all of it. Um, and that allows blockchains that are built on Celestia to, um, like, they don't have to adopt a bunch of features that are not necessary to their particular application. Um, whereas, like, when you adopt a change on Cosmos, like on Cosmosm, you actually have to adopt the entirety of the, the features to upgrade um, to the latest, you know, software upgrade. So um, that's some of those different modular things. That's interesting. SCI network and DYDX, which are coming to Cosmos, are interesting because you got order books. Order books are basically the same idea of what is on like a Binance or on a Coinbase or something like that, where you have a lot of market makers come in, provide liquidity, and create a more seamless experience as opposed to like AMMs, which uh, you know is Uniswap and things like that, where you have um, uh, where, where you basically have a lot, like kind of, kind of a high slippage risk uh, for large orders. So, you, so, um, so order book related trading allows better fee structures. So you can do like high frequency trading and bot trading and some other cool stuff that um, that you can't do very well on Ethereum and on Uniswap and such. So there's definitely some things that you can do in Cosmos that you cannot do very well in Ethereum. Um, but even there, there's like layer two networks like Polygon and others that are trying to build some things. Um, how decentralized any of that is, is highly debatable. Um, many things are just not decentralized at all anymore. Um, so there's that. But <laughs> like, I think Cosmos is interesting because uh, I don't think it's actually very possible to, to accomplish decentralization very well for any chain like any chain, like whoever is the early entrance into the chain is going to have more of the coins almost always, right? That's one problem. The second problem is, is like whoever validates or, um, you know, is a professional validator, we're going to have, we're going to have a tendency to get a lot more delegations on proof of state networks. Um, people tend not to trust easily new, um, new validators and things for these networks as much as previous ones or ones that do like validation on multiple chains. So there's this tendency um, that technical expertise tends to focus and therefore centralize as well. So I think what will happen long term in terms of um, 
the way de- decentralized finance is going to work. I think individual chains are going to be very centralized. And I don't think it's almost like you don't even care at some level. And the decentralization part is going to be where a lot of chains get produced. So right now, I think there's close to 50 Cosmos chains or more. So imagine there's like hundreds of Cosmos chains. Um, You wind up with decentralization through essentially uh, like almost like diversification or just by sheer volume of chains. So if one chain goes down for some reason because it's centralized and something happens to it, um, like take, for example, what happened to Binance chain, you have the option within the ecosystem of putting your money in lots and lots of different chains that are not necessarily interconnected connected in terms of valuation. And you can diversify that way um, as opposed to worrying about um, like, is my individual chain sufficiently diversified? I just don't think it's feasible. I, I like every example of it, whether it's Ethereum or anything else, um, and decentralization almost always fails to um, to happen in the way that you think. Even like Bitcoin, for example, it's you know mining pools are decentralized. For example, I mean, I'm sorry, centralized. For example, or um, like uh, certain areas of the world have way more mining power than others. Um, like what happened with when China sort of kicked out a bunch of miners during COVID was an example of how like you know, this huge drop in hash rate happened and uh, so much for decentralization um, there. Um, so yeah, a lot of, I, I think what's interesting about Cosmos and that's is that it leaves room for lots and lots of little chains and inter-blockchain communication allows you to easily move money from one to the other and it's going to become easier and easier. And that way, like if you have, let's say 300 centralized chains each of each with different levels of decentralization in terms of validator networks you you may be able to solve the problem that way and um like semi secure the 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 funds in that in this way so i think it's a different approach um so far um the cosmos's approach has led to it being um one of the larger tvl ecosystems but when you go to like a coin market cap or whatever, you don't notice this because it's the the liquidity is spread across lots and lots of chains. So if you go to like I don't know uh, Ethereum, right? Like you you have coin like ERC twenty coins. I think Link and some other ones are ERC twenties. Anyway, but like you have, but you don't necessarily see the entire value of the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, right there because it's divided amongst lots and lots of coins with cosmos it's divided among lots and lots of chains so it's really hard to tell for most people that they're even in the cosmos they might be on crypto.com using their blockchain and they don't even realize that they're in cosmos polygon is a cosmos chain for example um like what else uh binance smart chain is a cosmos chain for example um so a lot of people that use these things don't even know what the hell they're on so when we talk about the cosmos, we're really just talking about a uh, a type of software, essentially, a type of um, blockchain tech, and different people can use it for different things, and you don't have to pay rent to the primary chain. So at at the end of the day, like uh, the long view would be like if I'm a company showing up, like I'm an airline or I'm a Uber or who the hell knows, Airbnb, whatever, and you want to have your transactions happen on a blockchain for whatever reason, um, it makes sense to have a sovereign chain of your own. 
where you control the governance, you control the parameters, you control the tokenomics, you control the fees, the gap, you can make it free gas fees, for example, uh, if you have your own chain, like Kajira has done. Um, you can do all these things when you have control over the, all of the parameters of the chain and you can figure out how to make it profitable um, in that context, right? Whereas if you are on somebody else's chain and you are paying rent to them for every transaction, that's just a different business model. Um, so Cosmos creates this, um, this opportunity, essentially. Um, notice, by the way, like when Luna crashed is a good example. Um, the chain worked fine, actually. It's a Cosmos-based chain. It worked fantastically. Um, the economic model didn't work. That's a different issue. But that's not the Cosmos software development kit's fault. That's just a financial implementation. That would be like saying, you know, Juno's price went down. It's Cosmos's fault. No, the software works as intended. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the price action or the business model of that particular chain is is guaranteed or anything like that, right? It'd be like having, a, I don't know, you have apps on your iPhone. Um, it's not Apple's fault if you make a shitty app, right? Like it's, that's that's uh, uh, you're just using that the 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 software framework of Swift, or you're using the software framework of like, um, uh, well, you know, Xcode or whatever you're coding in to produce an app, right? So uh, that's kind of I think the magic of the Cosmos so far. And then the big difference in what's happening with Atom 2.0. Um, Atom 2.0 is doing a lots of different things that's, that are geared towards bringing value to the Atom token itself. Um, but once the sort of Cosmos upgrades get made to Atom, technically those upgrades will be available to any Cosmos chain um, in terms of feature sets. But there is a lot of interesting things happening where um, the, the, it's going to essentially improve the ability to A, create more like chains that are sub chains of cosmos uh so for example uh if i have a company or i have a like a dao or something and i just want to create a a a, a like a what's called a consumer chain using the atom validators i can basically do that quite quickly create a whole brand new coin and a whole brand new chain and i can basically um make money off of that but i have to pay part of my transaction fees uh to the to the primary Atom token uh, validator set. And it makes it really, really easy to spin up a chain without having to have your own validator set. Um, but it also means that some of the traffic from your chain, you're paying for that security um, in the form of like fees to the Atom validators. Now, another interesting thing about that is it makes it really, really easy for a new project to spin up a chain. Um, and what like an app specific chain and if you want later you can actually just migrate that to a full cosmos chain if you want to it'd be um not that different from like spinning up something on kusama and then moving it to Polkadot, uh for example so there's some different um uh like kind of ways to look at this and you know some projects will want to do that and other projects will just simply say well like we can accomplish what we need to using the atom validator set. We're just going to have a sub sub chain. The consumer doesn't know the difference either way. Like you and me, like if we're a retail user, um, we won't know the difference either way. You'll be able to connect to this thing using your Kepler wallet or Cosmos, Cosmos station wallet or whatever it is, whatever, whatever is um, it's compatible with. And you like, you won't care where the actual um, transactions taking place necessarily. 
Um, if you have a lot of money on the chain, you might care in terms of the nuances of the, 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 like what your money is doing, but just to use the chain, like to say, for example, buy an NFT or whatever the hell you're doing, like it, you're not going to notice which chain you're on. Um, and then other, other features like interchain accounts is going to make it possible to where like, um, it may not matter which chain you're on, you'll be able to pay with other coins within Cosmos. So um, I think it's going to be f pretty feasible in the not too distant future to pay for anything in Cosmos with in any chain, possibly um, with full interchain account implementation. You might be able to buy like stuff with Atom tokens and you can buy them anywhere. Um, and so that's kind of really cool in that it became it behaves like a primary liquidity token more so than it does now and it just makes it much more convenient like i'll give you an example of a purchase i made today so i bought i was hanging out with the people on the like the the raccoon nft club or whatever and uh, they're like hey you should buy a raccoon i was like all right fine so <laughs> they happen to have this on the secret network so i didn't have any secret tokens on me so what did i do I went to um, like my Juno wallet and I noticed, okay, I have some excess Juno there. I'm gonna move that over um, and to Osmosis, I'm gonna swap this for secret tokens. I need some Atom tokens because I don't have enough Juno to make enough, I don't have enough money sitting around. So I so went to Atom. So I just sort of scraped a bunch of wallets, turned it into secret, uh, turned that into secret secret, which is another little token. And then I go to this uh, site, I think it was called, um, oh, well, whatever the hell it was called, and um, uh, and bought, went to the marketplace and bought this NFT. But with an interchain accounts concept, the difference would be um, you'd be able to just show up on the NFT marketplace or whatever it is that you um, you know want to buy you hook up your kepler wallet and voila in the background whatever the hell tokens you happen to have um it'll convert those appropriately to whatever it is that the the particular dap or chain is expecting and a lot of this extra garbage work in the background might turn into like a singular transaction so a lot of cool stuff like that can occur or a different way to look at it be like let's say for example you have an nft project on Terra, but you also want to be able to sell NFTs on Juno and Secret or whatever, you know, like, or, you know, some cross-chain sort of um, product that you're creating, you could then have your dApp um, have the ability to connect to multiple Cosmos chains from the same dApp, or the flip side is you can actually have a version of your project running on multiple chains simultaneously, assuming that they're the same Cosmwasm implementation. And you can have like, I don't know what the right word for that is. It's called, uh, well, shit. Uh, yeah, you can have basically multiple implementations running on different chains simultaneously. And any transaction that you do, you could have the token be, um, the final uh, finality can occur on the, 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 the mother chain of that particular project. So an example of this would be like, let's say Kujira, um, let's say it wants to do liquidation and a liquidation engine for Juno. It could actually have a version of Kujira, um, some of the smart contract platform actually running on Kujira. But when you finally like, let's say make Kuji tokens or whatever it is that you made, you can record that to the primary Kujira chain, for example. So all sorts of weird like implementations can happen where in the background, 
like money's going this way and that way, but you, the end user, don't really care or have to know what's happening or where it's being stored. So um, that's kind of, that's really cool stuff. Um, uh, and generally like inter-blockchain communication, um, I think uh, Near Protocol has announced that they're implementing at some point, Cadena announced, I believe, some implementation. I think Polygon may finally or eventually implement IBC as well. So when that happens, you'll be able to move assets between chains without bridges. So think of think of um, IBC as sort of a TCI, TCP IP type of protocol for the internet. You'll be able to basically move um, uh, coins from one place to the other, and there's a proper record of the coin leading uh, or, or the NFT or whatever leaving one chain arriving on another and um the your ability it's it be, you're basically you're creating greater fungibility um between these things so ultimately like uh let's say you have a standard that cosmos creates for say nfts sort of like what uh, marmalade is doing for cadena um you might be able to get to the point where like um let's say you sell or buy something on um nowhere on terra and your NFT has a record of having been sold for $500, let's say, as the last sale. If someone pulls up that same NFT on another chain, let's say on Juno, and they go to and you go to an NFT marketplace, a, a really cross-compatible system would be able to identify the last the, the sale price of that NFT of $500 even if you're not on a different chain within the cosmos, ideally. So these kinds of things, um, uh, I think Stargaze and some other people are working on this idea of like a metadata layer for information that goes between um, the IBC. Um, it'd be no different than kind of like a PDF file that you own, uh, let's say on your iPhone, and then you send it to Android, and then you send it to Microsoft, and then you send it to Linux. But you can open that PDF file anywhere. Um, these types of functionalities, I think, are what users are going to expect and demand. Like, I mean, honestly, like if you look at how your normal phone or normal like email and everything works, like blockchain stuff is just lame comparatively. It's still like it's just pathetic, actually. Um, it, like the, the the lack of interoperability is really is really hideous um, in many ways. Like it's just, I mean, I know like we're early, blah blah blah, and we're supposed to accept everything as being fine, but it's a pretty shitty user experience in my opinion so far. It's got a long way to go. Like it took a long time, even on smartphones, it took a long time to get that share button to work, right? Like if you guys have been around long enough, like early smartphones, like when iPhone came out and everything, like the ability to share something um, from one place to say, you know, a file and then you want to tweet it or whatever, the entire idea of a share button was obvious to those of us who were using all those applications and having to copy and then save it somewhere and then paste it somewhere else and all that bullshit. Um, but it it took a while for implementation. Like, you know, what you have now in your smartphones, pretty impressive compared to even like five years ago, if you recall. It's it's easy to forget how much shit happened between <laughs> what happened in five years. But in blockchain, I think uh, with a, both fungible and non-fungible tokens, like, um, the user experience is still hideous. And I think if you ever had to get one of your friends to hop on Kepler or something like that, never bought an NFT before, for example, and they're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, like why am I doing this? And why do I want to own this? And uh, how do I connect all this shit? It actually takes quite a bit of effort. Um, I think Jade just was 
walking her way through Kepler wallet, for example, which is among the better wallets out there in, in the world, but still, um, it's just not intuitive unless you understand the mechanics of where your assets are, why they're at a certain place, what's the difference between the different chains, what the hell is the actual cosmos, like why why can't I buy something here and sell it over there? Um, uh, all of that is very confusing to people, and I think um, it's it's obvious if you're in an ecosystem and you're playing in it, it's much less obvious um, to a newcomer. Uh, like the last few newcomers I've shown how to, let's say, buy an NFT or even look at their NFT, like, oh, I sent you an NFT, by the way. And they're like, okay, now what? Like, you know, like it's the dumbest experience. Like you, you send someone a picture and they can't look at it without going to, you know, some place to examine in the marketplace and whatever. Um, and so a lot of the wallet implementations are still kind of whatever, um, in terms of, uh, the ability to browse what you have. And I think some wallets are better than others at this, in this regard, but a big reason why wallet, um, NFT explosion hasn't happened is because there's no NFT standard. It's not like an MP3 file or a PDF file where if I were to send, you know, an MP3 from, from, uh, uh, with some song on it, uh, it didn't matter if it was classical music or EDM. If I send you this MP3, you're going to be able to play it because you have the requisite software, the, the, the software to run the, you know, this file and, you know, play this music. Whereas in the blockchain space, it's still a mess in that the, even the metadata standards are all over the place. Like for NFTs, I think OpenSea has some of the, the, the broadest standards, but like, it doesn't mean that like NFTs on uh, Terra, for example, or on a Juno or whatever, that they conform with the, the OpenSea standard. And if, and if people come up with new metadata tags, it doesn't mean that those platforms will automatically um, uh, incorporate them. And this is why kind of a standards organization ultimately matters. I think the good thing about Cosmos is we have so many chains and so many different NFT platforms already. I think probably over a half dozen and a half dozen chains actually with completely different NFTs uh, on a much less um, actual marketplaces. The good thing about that is, is that as the, the system gets bigger, there is going to be a driving force within Cosmos to create more standardization as far as um, as far as like the metadata and the tagging and everything else that happens, similar to what happened with MP3s and and other file types that we think of in our regular life. Um, in in Cosmos, in, in many other systems, um, if you compare them, like a near protocol or a uh, I don't know, like an Elrond or a um, there's a variety of sort of like sharded networks that are kind of fast and you might think, oh, their tech is really the big deal. Um, but at the end of the day, like how much clout do those have, right? They have no clout whatsoever. So when you have dozens and dozens of chains on using one software platform, uh, you end up controlling the narrative in terms of um, what becomes a standard, what becomes interoperability standard. and uh, similar to how like you use USB for your you know wires or HDMI for your wires on your TV set, um, you wind up with these standards that ultimately cause a mass explosion in in development. Because if like just take your television set for example, like let's say each type of streaming player or each type of device, your PlayStation or whatever, had a different set of wires and you only ha could buy a TV that was purely compatible with those wires, 
it's just creates a tremendous amount of consumer um, confusion. And on top of that, it's a real pain in the ass if you bought the wrong TV and now you want to play your Xbox, right? So it's going to just basically reduce the growth of these platforms. Same way, like right now in crypto, basically the lack of, say, for example, NFT standards, or in many blockchain cases, any kind of interoperability standards like Cosmos has, is going to seriously curtail their growth to a point where they'll just go to oblivion. Like, I don't know if you guys were around the beta, like I'm old enough to have seen like beta and VHS wars. I was there for like the um, HD, DVD, and Blu-ray war, which ended in Blu-ray being the like dominant disc player. I remember DVDs coming. I don't remember what the competitor for DVD was, but there was a competitor and it disappeared. Um, so usually when you have dozens of standards, almost all of them will die and only one survives. Um, in, in the consumer electronics industry, which I'm really familiar with, like uh, kind of because I've bought like almost every generation of every fucking thing there ever was um, and like implemented those things. Um, the frustrations over the years were always kind of um, uh, like the, the, the standards problems were really a real, a big problem in that industry. And um, it almost always was like one standard would, would win. It would almost be like a monopoly. It's like you, it's winner take all. So even in the cosmos, it's really, really important for, these standards to be done at extreme light speed. Like currently the, the Atom 2.0 white paper, one of the implementation issues, right? One of the things being discussed in governance and everything is how much money to spend uh, on like taking inflationary money from Atom and actually creating a treasury, which could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And how do you deploy that to sort of beat everybody else. Um, right now, most blockchain projects have shit for treasuries. And, you know, like during the bear market, you notice like nobody is even doing like promotional shit on Twitter anymore, right? They're just, they just disappeared. Like a bunch of projects that, you know, when like when the price was up, like all the developers are there, they're chatting on the internet and then they, t they come up with this bullshit. Like, yeah, we're, we're gonna have our heads down building. You don't have your heads down building shit. You just broke. That's what's the problem. It's like, like there's not enough money. So it's hard to pay for um, advertising. It's hard to pay for promo, like promotional people and advertisers and community builders and all the other shit. And like a lot of people figure out, well, I can't do it for free. I thought I could, but like I'm poor now too. So I can't be an influencer or some shit while I'm also poor. So you see this like just this breakdown. But the idea behind the Cosmos Treasury is to create a fairly large one. And really um, sort of take the bull by the horns in terms of hiring uh, lots and lots of developers. And I think uh, one of those, in my mind, one of the things that could be done would be some sort of like cosmos wide, like NFT standard, for example, between like Stargaze and Omniflix and all these different companies that are sort of putting together things. That would be a cool thing in my mind. I think in the beginning, it's a pain in the ass because no one can ever agree on what the standard should be. But if you want to like shoot yourself in the foot, like you create consumer confusion and you basically decimate everybody. And then someone else that does this better, whether it's Ethereum or whoever ends up taking the, the lion's share of everything. Um, so standards are, are relevant and it, to develop that, deciding what those are, having developers paid to sort of do that work and all of that shit is really, um, um, th these are some of the reasons why for Adam 2.0, there was this push to kind of build a treasury and like spend gargantuan sums of money. We're talking about hundreds of millions, like some, like the Adam 2.0 treasury 
will probably like if if it goes through as discussed, it'll be one of the biggest treasuries, I think, uh, of all time in crypto or something like that. And the idea of, and some of the folks that are debating this are like, well, wait a minute, if we make this massive treasury, who the fuck's going to deploy all this money? How are we going to prevent like half a billion dollars from getting lost or misallocated or misappropriated or whatever? And the reality is that anytime you have a huge batch of money, like all sorts of fuckery is going to happen. You're going to have things that are misallocated. You're going to have things that are spent on stuff that wasn't vetted enough, all that. But the flip side is to think of it from a venture capital angle and that you literally have to just throw money out and make it stick. Um, because if you don't, then um, developers won't show up. And if you have this massive war chest and developers know they can get paid over the next five years um, by getting involved with these grant programs, then you can steal those developers from other projects that otherwise would have you know, taken those folks on. Um, so yeah, these huge funds um, do make a big difference. And um, it, it's a signaling mechanism. Money is a, is a meme always, or, or price is a meme, but also just like these grants, these massive funds are also um, important to sort of bring developers in. And really like every Cosmos chain benefits every time there's major developments and upgrades to Atom and Cosmosm, because those can be, um, those can be deployed to like any and all uh, Cosmos chains as upgrades, which is really, really cool. So that's kind of what I think a bit of an overview of what's happening in in Cosmos right now. There is a uh, governance group on Telegram that uh, a variety of us are a part of that you can jump onto. I don't know what the share is on that, the the, the actual address, but there have been people discussing nuances of this, like, okay, if you have a half a billion dollars or whatever this amount is, who the hell is going to be the, like, who's going to actually control this money? Are we going to have committees? Who are those committees? Who's going to be in them? How do we decide that? Um, you know, like the bottom line is running a corporation is hard and even harder is giving away money um, and, and doing so without wasting a ton of it like a traditional government would. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, like, you know, like the military will pay like, you know, $5,000 for a toilet seat or something like that. And you're like, what happened here? <laughs> that kind of shit can happen really, really easily when you have people that, particularly if you have people that don't know how to manage money, managing huge sums. So I think that's where a lot of the criticism is right now. A lot of the debate is on who is going to like play with this money, who's going to oversee this, who has time to oversee this shit. Honestly, like it's a full-time job, right? You'd have to be paid for this just to overlook this money. Like that's why people have CFOs and CEOs and stuff. And, and then uh, companies typically have two groups. They have the people actively executing like CEOs, CFOs and such. And they typically also have a board like where a group of people is like overlooking this and going, wait a minute, does this pass a sniff test? Is this bullshit? Like what's going on here? Um, and <laughs> actually, like if you think about what happened to Voyager and Celsius recently, um, they had CEOs and everybody else. And it's not really clear why the boards of these companies didn't notice um, the kinds of risks they were taking. Um, but maybe it's the people on the board and the people at the companies were underqualified to handle the, the amounts of money and, and, and the uh, uh, deployment of that money appropriately. And of course, Celsius and Voyager both got wrecked. Um, that can happen to any, any system, right? Um, look what happened to Terra as a, as a good example. Like I think that those of us that were nervous about Terra, I got nervous Mm, like, I, you know, I wanted to believe that the team could sort of execute on what they were doing. But at the moment I got nervous is when Terra had a big community fund, not community fund, TFL had a huge amount of the Terra tokens, the Luna, Luna tokens, 
I think it was like 55% or something like that. And I remember when um, they first started selling them in order to, um, with reasonable lockup periods and stuff too. And I thought, I thought it was done reasonably well, but they started selling some of them and started moving some of the team tokens. And I was like, I don't know that doesn't that send the signal that now like, you know, the team is going to start dumping tokens onto the market and therefore like hedge funds and people like galaxy digital are going to start exiting. Um, because why would they want to be dumped on exactly? And sort of like, <laughs> I don't know if that sort of was the domino that the first domino, but my suspicion is that it was, um, even before sort of like the LFG thing was formed and all of that, I think, um, so anyway, long story short, like the treasury management um, sends messages. It's, sent, it's a signal. What you intend to do with that money sends a message to the whole world. And um, large players with lots of money in whether it's Adam, whether it's Juno, I don't care what it is, are going to make decisions based on um, whether they think they're going to be dumped on or not. And when that starts happening, um, it becomes sort of a runaway train to some extent. And um, it's something to kind of watch for, I think. But anyway, so I think this, but on the whole, like, could this mean in the short term, there's like uh, price action that's negative towards Adam? I suppose it's possible. Um, on the other hand, it could be the other way around. There could be FOMO because this huge fund is being developed. And it means that the odds that we're going to beat most other blockchains just by sheer developer growth um, is high enough that it, you know, like ultimately, um, you know, like that uh, creates a signal that, hey, no, I, we want to invest in the Atom token because, look, they have a vision, they have a plan, they want to build lots of shit. I mean, think about how many, how many companies out there um, were negative in terms of cash flow and whatever, like the Teslas of the world, Amazon or whatever, and for years and years and years until the actual stock price went up. So stock dilution or even token dilution, I think you've done um, with the right intent, uh, could be good, but in the short run, you never know what it means for price action. So, um, you know, if you're investing in any of these things, I certainly would, um, again, it's the usual story of like only invest what you can hold and ride down because like in the crypto market, anything can go down, right? Like, and it can go down a lot. So if I, like, if I buy Adam today, I fully intend to do so with the idea that if I need to buy more, I will. Or if I buy Juno today, um, like if the price dropped by 50%, I'll just, you know, increase my position or something if I believe in the project. But I, I'm not like, it's not like an all in sort of thing. Oh, look, they made Adam 2.0. Like all my money in my world is going to go to Adam now. No, that's not, that's not what it means. Like, <laughs> like you have to kind of think it through as far as like, what you're going to do based on what the price action does, you should have a plan for yourself. But anyway, I think on the grand scheme of things, if Adam does well, I think all the coins in the cosmos will sort of like do well uh, by proxy to some extent or the other. And I think that's, that's always a cool thing. So I think anything benefiting Adam does benefit almost all the cosmos. And you see that in price action too. Like when Adam goes up, everything goes up. Um, Juno does and everything else, but Hey, Xerox, what's up? A rising tide lifts all shit. Rising. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way to say it. Um, yeah, what have you been up to? Is uh, how, how far are we from SEI Network opening up? Do you know? Uh, well, based on my sources, uh, probably January. And uh, yeah, we're looking pretty cool. Mm, uh, <laughs> just come off 
well, uh, so someone I know very well has just come off a few calls, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's looking quite fun. Uh, I think they're gonna there's there's a roll up like a Solana roll up called Nitro, which is um, basically letting people take across um, Solana native like smart contracts and basically plonking them on a roll-up, which then, <laughs> that's a technical term, actually, it's the wrong term to use, but uh, putting them on a roll-up, uh, which settles back to say, and um, it's it's going to be pretty cool because now you can see all these Solana projects come across and they can... Oh, so you can you can easily deploy yeah. um, a Solana project using this method, but you, you it's still using the same network. Exactly. So you can have IBC assets trading on uh, apps you'd be familiar with from Solana, which is cool. Um, and that uh, might attract a few Solana teams to come across or vice versa. And the whole the whole idea is, is like, oh, uh, you've got EVM, which is like the the standard sort of um, execution environment, kind of like the Windows of um, crypto right now. Uh, but maybe maybe it's not. Maybe that's uh, Apple Macintosh and maybe, maybe Windows could be a, a Solana virtual machine. Uh, so we'll see. Um, but it's it's cool. And um, I think they're going to get a few projects kind of just forked over there and, and running uh, pretty soon, which is kind of like alpha, actually, I think. Uh, but that's that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. So SEI, though, is kind of heavily venture backed, right? Isn't it one of these yeah. more heavily? Yeah. So like, do you have any theory as far as like, let's say this token gets released at some point? Um, mm-hmm. do you have some theory in your mind as far as like how you're going to schedule buying the token, assuming you want some of it? Like, Oof. great question. I know, I know <laughs> I put, putting people on the spot like that's always a thing, but yeah. I, you know, well, it's um, because obviously a lot of the early investors got the token for not, you know, nearly nothing. Right. Uh, usually. And, and retail comes in a little bit late when it comes to venture based, um, systems yeah, it, it, there's a wide range of, um, like deals and vest, like vesting arrangements that, that happen. Uh, a lot of so like if you're familiar like, let me just look at the list of people like Terra people are pretty familiar with this idea that private investors get 10% unlocked on day one and uh, immediately just start selling um, but that as far as I'm aware from my sources is not going to be the case on say they will have a year um, a cliff and then three years linear I think a pretty long time so um yeah, and then of course, like it depends on the investors. I mean, yeah, there's a wide there's a wide variety of different different entities sitting there. Um, not sure what they're going to do, to be honest. But um, what am I going to do? Uh, another great question. I think. Um, I mean, speaking as a Terra person, someone who was on Terra and had a lot of UST and a lot of well, not too much Luna, but a decent amount of UST. Um, the first thing you want to do is make sure you've got enough, uh, enough of a cushion, especially in my line of work, uh, so that if things go horribly wrong uh, with, with crypto, so what you're saying is you're not going all, all in SEI. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going all in, stake it, baby. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm going and saying um, I don't necessarily want – so like if crypto goes down, okay, if crypto fails completely – and all my life savings are on here, and my livelihood is based on crypto, I'm double fucked. But if I've got most of my life savings outside of crypto, but my livelihood is crypto, then I'm only half fucked. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, right. It's different when you have your livelihood in crypto also, because then it's like when you're wrecked, you're really wrecked. Um, exactly. 
the, yeah, it's an interesting problem to have. It's like why I don't really mess with like, for example, I don't have any investments whatsoever in the medical realm, even though that's what I do for a living. Like, I just don't yeah. have any connection with it at all. Yeah, a lot of that's money burning too, right? Like uh, clinical trials and like, oh, we've got a new drug. Uh, it's going to cost 50 million and we're going to get it to stage two clinical trials and it's going to get rejected and no one's going to get any money back. So, right, um, right. There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd look at a couple of those. Uh, but yeah, like how to play it. I mean, God, you know, it's just like, it's just like a general investment strategy. If you're bullish on projects, I mean, um, it's just about playing some common sense. And, um, you know, if you, you can put like, um, a certain amount against something like I, I'd never have more than say like 20% of my net worth actually on crypto, uh, being in the position I'm in. Uh, and you know, sometimes, but hopefully if there is another bull market, maybe that will explode. And then you have to ask the question, okay, well, you know, how do I want to cash this out? Do I want to cash this out? What's a sensible time? Do I want to hold this to, you know, to, to infinity and beyond? Um, and that's the difficult question because I mean, it's actually something like, um, I mean, you, you, Sefi, you've been through several investment cycles, no doubt, but I learned this for the first time in 2017 um, when I was holding a few random tokens and like Bitcoin forks and stuff. And, uh, you know, they were pumping up crazy. And I was like, holy shit, man, you know, I'm, I'm making, you know, five figures here. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm, you know, am I going to sell this? No, of course I'm not. It's going to the moon. And then you hold it and you hold it and you learn that lesson um, that you need to take profits. You need to take your initial investment out at least plus like some reasonable profits. Um, that's just sensible. And in the same way, investing. You know, one thing, fair. one, one yeah. tactic I did on Terra, um, anytime a new project came out is um, a lot of projects had airdrops on Terra, which was nice. And they do on Atom, they do in Cosmos too, actually, if you own Atom tokens. You can get different cos. You can get different uh, airdrops. Like I think Territory had theirs, and I went and picked up my Territory airdrop. Um, you know, uh, like using my. Uh, well, they looked at your Atom wallet, and they gave you uh, airdrops based on that. They did this for Secret and a variety of other networks as well. Uh, Juno did it at some point. So what I've done is um, I, I keep a fairly large chunk in you know, Adam and Juno and like the base, you know, the, the base layer one chains. And then, um, if I get an airdrop from a project, I remember on Terra, what I did was, um, uh, I looked at the airdrop as sort of like free money. And some of those projects were pretty decent at the time they came out. They got wrecked later. That's a different story, but I had like Mars and Astroport and whatever. And, um, what I did was I just basically bought the same amount of tokens. I just sort of matched whatever, uh, like, Whatever I got in airdrop, I just mashed it with new cash. And that way, like, I'm, all, I'm already only like 50% exposed to the position in a sense. And then when the price goes up, like, I would sometimes just trade out my, uh, like, either initial or, or some fraction. And then when the price dropped again, I would just buy back some. And then now my position would be maybe like three times what it would have been otherwise. And then, um, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and then they just ride it out and just who cares? Don't worry about it after that. Yeah, there was some, uh, Ben Cowan is a guy I used to watch on YouTube and he had a similar strategy with like, um, oh, yeah, he, Benjamin Cowan, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have like ranges and he would buy like, he would like say, oh, let's say my total investment is 10 X and, and I would put in like, um, if it's, it's like 
trading in the middle of my like risk, my little risk channel, uh, rainbow or whatever, <laughs> um, then I'm going to uh, I'm going to put in one x, and if it goes up to the next level, I put in like a bit more, and it goes up. To, oh, sorry, the other way around. If it goes up a bit more, I'll sell one x, and I'll sell two x, and I'll sell three x. But if it goes down into the lower half of my little risk channel thing, I'm going to buy one uh, x and then buy two x as it goes further down. So it's sort of like uh, the further deviates from yeah, the middle he, of. The- he liked this idea of like trading bands and whatnot, but that helps. Yeah. The technical trading helps like in a high liquidity environment, like for example, a Bitcoin mm-hmm. or Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Like you can't use those techniques on like I don't know IDOs and shit like that. Like there's just no. There's just no comparison. When you talk about these IDOs and things, you're you're only buying them with in presumably you should be buying them with small amounts of money with a lot of asymmetric upside. You're you're yeah. got, get it, you're expecting a hundred X or whatever. And so therefore you're willing to sort of like throw a little bit of at it and just ride it out. You're not really gonna be able to play a lot of technical stuff. Technical analysis stuff is a bit more um, you need at least a million dollars a day in volume. Yeah, you need the volume to sort of like confirm yeah. that it means anything. Otherwise, it's just simply noise. Exactly. I mean, even if you look at like, so like on Cosmos, one of the big weaknesses of Cosmos is there's no there's no liquidity here, relatively speaking. Although if a BNB hacker brought some across yesterday, that would have been much appreciated. Um, the, uh, the the I mean, even if you look at like Kujira, which is like an established chain, and a lot of people like it, a lot of people tweet about it. Um, good team, but there's just the books are so thin. Even if I want to buy Kujira, you're getting this nut slippage. You know, like it's uh, so. You know, even even somewhat larger Cosmos projects still suffer from um, that kind of problem. Um, and what's going to solve it? Well, probably when DYDX and all these other uh, like like teams come across and they bring a bunch of liquidity and then we enter into this new sort of narrative. Cosmos is in the ascendancy. It's the best place to build, blah, 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 blah. Hopefully we have another run. And, um, and it's sort of playing second fiddle to Ethereum is probably like, um, how I see things playing out. Yeah, actually, interestingly, Adam has done better than almost, uh, I mean, like in two years, it's done practically better than everything on the planet. Like it's done really well, like, uh, except for Terra before it got wrecked. Right. It like, um adam's actually done really really well in the grand scheme i think it was a dollar at the bottom of like 2020 like at the pandemic crash and now it's like sitting about 14 bucks a 14x is still pretty damn good like as far as i'm concerned adam's still in a bull market there's not even a hint that it isn't actually daily volume like the average volume on a three-day chart's been steadily climbing um over the last couple of years even past like uh, it didn't hit the, it's not at peak volume where it was at like max sort of bull market territory, but it's still doing quite well. So I think, um, this, these higher lows that are happening, especially on Cosmos Adam, and that's with all the inflation too. Like that's with a 19, currently it's at 19% inflation rate. So when you think about it, it's uh, something that's pulled like a good solid 14 X from the bottom and it's inflation is sort of just money that you can accumulate or whatever. Um, it's pretty impressive, actually. I think it has to do with the fact that like a lot of new entrants just keep coming in, like the volume would suggest that. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's able to maintain even with its weird inflation rate as high as it is. Um, Like even the Bitcoin Atom chart is like pretty much uh, like coming close to like resistance again in the sense that like if it breaks past that, um, it looks like one of the better options in the crypto world as far as like something that could um 
you know, really go from like a 4 billion market cap to like a 50 billion market cap type coin. Um, with Adam too, I think this question, I think on everyone's mind is like, how popular is, are the features of that going to be? How much attention is that going to grab? How many, uh, what do you call it, consumer chains? I think there's like five announced so far. How many consumer chains are going to arrive? And how, what's going to bring value to the token? I think no one really knows for sure. But yeah. the reality is like most chains in, in, in crypto have almost no narrative at all. Like there's no good evidence that like um, they have a competing superior. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You look at the top 10. I don't, I don't even know what the top 10 are right now, but um, top 20 like, even. Dogecoin and whatever. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You I mean, it's just crazy. It, it seems like yesterday I was looking at the top 20 on coin market cap and uh, I had Litecoin, absolutely no idea like what any of these coins were. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I don't know, all kinds of crap. And, and look at it again today. Like you'd expect everything to be somewhat um more legitimate i don't know um xrp cardano dogecoin dot arguably uh shiba inu tron somehow um what the hell is unus i mean what is that i have no idea what that is uh, ethereum classic 20 Litecoin. i'm not sure what it is either <laughs> I mean, Yo, what is that <laughs> i probably <laughs> should is that? oh my god um and uh yeah litecoin is still here i mean so yeah there's a lot of stuff that which really has no right to even be worth anything at all um and yet and yet it is so i mean it really really who knows i mean atom consumer chains the um circle usdc thing is really really interesting that's really spicy um um who knows what's going to happen there it's it's just like a lot of people are pointing yeah, out the, kind the of atom usdc thing makes a big difference because it makes it much easier to have like a price neutral way to get into uh, the cosmos, right? Like it's it, the, like the easier it is to take a stable coin and bring it liquidity into your chain or into your ecosystem, the more likely that your ecosystem is going to grow just because like stable coins still represent the, the, the highest transaction value, uh, the, the highest number of transactions of all crypto still. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I hadn't put up the atom chart against dollars for a little while. And uh, yeah, it's just like on the on the um, on the, the larger time frame. It's just like since June, July, just creeping on up. Well, the fact that it hasn't been destroyed, right? Like the, it yeah, ha- it's standing the test of time so far. The last several years, so like at least we don't have we don't have some kind of decimation re- regarding you know cosmosm. We haven't had any major uh, issues regarding. Um, like chain functionality. Now we've had some uh, issues where like osmosis and others have had chain halts though. So it's not like things haven't happened, but that's not necessarily, um, I don't believe there are necessarily cosmosm failures as much as like specific implementation failures on certain chains. So I think people should always be aware that no matter what else is going on, like there are definitely some, uh, some risks involved with your money. And uh, it, it, you really shouldn't have all your shit in one basket or whatever, your eggs in one basket. Uh, you, you can still get wrecked in, if something bad happens. Yeah. Ed, that's... what's going on? Yeah. Ed, what's up? Hey, Seth. Hey, um, is it Chim- Chimmy or like OX? How do you? <laughs> Call me Chimney. No problem. Chimney. Hey, well, nice to meet you. Enjoying the conversation. Um, I. Uh, it's interesting to 
you know, hear you talking about Adam. I, I think it's, I, I've been involved with uh, Cosmos for a while. And uh, I track, I track some of the other chains, mess around a little bit on Polygon. But, but um, I, I really feel like the vision for Adam is to continue to try to grow it out. And at, if you've read the 2.0 white paper, you know, they're, they're really wanting to try to build a war chest of uh, like, um, what is it? Is it 55, 50, 50 million Adam? They, some people want to bump it up to 69 million Adam. Yeah, as it's, a, a, it's a metric fuck ton of money is what it is. <laughs> like like yeah, a half, it, half a billion dollars type money. In in the whole the prop is still in draft stage. If Jimmy, if if you haven't been following, and so like the whole thought of it is is let's eventually try to lower inflation, but build this treasury. But we're not exactly sure how we're going to spend it. And you know, spending money in crypto is very difficult in a decentralized manner. And so there's all these kind of discussions going on. It's like, uh, do we do we build this now and then try to try to spend this money? as wisely and appropriately as possible. So I think that's with Adam 2.0 is what's happening right now. And I'm interested to see, like me and Seppi were in a, a space earlier this week. You know, it, first of all, the conversation starts is like, well, it's too much. We don't want them spending all this money. But then after people start thinking and chiming in, it's like, well, hell, we're in the middle of a bear market. If we can raise this money, let's do it, you know? And so the big question is, where, where does it go from there? I'm interested to see what the final uh, proposal that ends up getting to be voted on, where it goes. Have you been following it, the chat, very much, Sefi? Mm, a little bit. I think, um, I think the basic tenets are, one, a huge amount of money. The, reason, the rationale for it is it signals to the industry that you, we basically have, we're here to play and we're here to, you know, we're here to kill everyone else off and win. That's number one. Um, so like to be a competitive, uh, system, you know, we're willing to deploy the money and we're willing to invest it. That's one signal. The second one is, um, I think Zaki made this point. If you have lots of money and you have it, uh, collected right from the beginning. So your treasury acquires this and locks it up from the beginning, then developers know that that money's there and available and ready to be deployed. It's not one of these things where like a developers show up, they get a grant. And then like a year later, governance changes happen and they don't get their money or some bullshit, right? So the, the ability to have a consistent cash flow that can be used for um, whether it's grants or whatever you want to call them, um, development budget, um, I think is another piece of this puzzle. Um, so, so those two things are the reasons why you'd have a treasury this size and also would uh, would collect the money in the beginning as opposed to doing it over time. Um, the concerns people have, of course, are for dilution of the total number of atom tokens. Um, it, it, at scale, I think Jay Kwan and some others expressed concern over the size of this treasury, which obviously, you know, you could, um, you know, the, the bigger the, the bigger the treasury, the bigger the kind of fuck ups you can create in terms of um, problems with price action with atom or something. Um, especially if some kind of disaster happened with the treasury in terms of its custody or whatever, um, which, which we should all be like always concerned about since, well, <laughs> like, there's plenty of examples of that happening. So um, uh, I think the question is like deployment of these funds, who, who are the DAOs or the community, the committees that actually deploy these funds? 
how do you ensure that the people deploying those funds are know what they're doing, right? Like, do they know how to manage money? Do they know what the money is worth? Do they know what, you know, a good price is for sub- certain types of development, certain types of grants? Um, do they know, um, like, that the work that's being done when you pay out these grants is going to get done the way that you intend? How do you bring value back to atom holders? How can you be sure? Like, you know, all the due diligence shit, right? That's the hard part. And I think um, I think uh, Chimney here knows what we're talking about because he's been in construction. When you have a bunch of people show up to kind of build things, like someone has to be sure that you're getting the, you know, you're getting what you're paying for at the end of the day. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to wind up with a bunch of people just wasting money. Um, and then on top of that, there's all the ethical concerns like what? OK, let's say I'm on the committee. And some project in the background comes and says to me, hey, look, uh, listen, man, um, you, you know these people, um, maybe we're going to be applying for a $10 million grant for a five-year blah, blah, blah. Um, what if we gave you a million dollars out of this? Would you be willing to sort of like, you know, you're on the committee, would you be able to throw a bone our way? These kinds of things are very hard to um, prevent. Uh, outside of people's goodwill and word, the reality is that there's very little ways to audit for those kinds of things. I think, um, you know, uh, you know, there's like, th- th- there's not like a regulatory agency that sits there and like checks all this shit. Exactly. So, you know, in, in like, if you're talking about a company, you know, and something like this happened, you have sec, you have courts, you have um, a place to kind of um, vent, you know, <laughs> like you, you have a, you have a, you have a, possibility that the shareholders could revolt and create some kind of um litigation or whatever right but in this context like in the so-called decentralized finance world i joke about this but like decentralized finance equals decentralized culpability and the reality is nobody's culpable yet um and then it creates a different set of problems too think about this um imagine timney imagine you were in charge of like a hundred million dollars worth of atom and it was on you to make sure it was used properly, right? Can you imagine the burden that? Yeah, well, this this is the thing. So, in what other industry do you have basically a group of of uh, people who've hacked some code, and you know they might have put some tweets out, and they might have an entity somewhere, and then suddenly they have how much? Half a billion, <laughs> half a billion dollars, and they're just in a WhatsApp group deciding how they should spend it um, <laughs> with no oversight. And no regulatory, like there's just, they can just kind of do what they want. So what a, you know, what a fascinating industry, you know, what a, what a crazy, what a crazy place to be. Or uh, I have no clue. I'd, I'd be terrified of spending half a billion dollars. Just like, how should we allocate this? Um, I mean, the reality uh, is probably nobody in this room right now has the skill or qualification to manage a half a billion or, you know, half a billion dollars of anything. Yeah, no way. Uh, probably most of us couldn't even manage a million dollars properly, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. probably true for a lot of people. I, you know, it, it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, and not only that, but it takes a lot of, it, it takes a bureaucracy to deal with it, right? You as an individual have no way to vet, you know, all of these various groups that are going to be involved. I mean, just think about how, I was talking about how it works in construction, right? When you have commercial property, you have a guy from the bank come in, who's checking to make sure that the money you borrowed is actually be spent on the plans as as prescribed, right? 
You have a person from the city coming and checking to make sure that you're following all the rules, making sure that like whatever you're building according to the plan is actually being built that way. So the fucking building doesn't fall down. Right. Like, like you have all these people auditing constantly um, the progress of this. Um, and it's not the same as like just auditing smart contracts. It's not like, well, I've got this, you know, Oak security or I have a uh, or somebody show up and there are no smart contract risks here. We're talking about like business decisions and development decisions. Like, wait, have they accomplished what they said in the time that they said for the money that they said, you know, are they, deli- you know, what are the deliverables and are they actually coming in on it, you know, in the time that you expect? That's a whole process that requires an entire team of people to be literally hired as business, um, you know, I mean, just basically just, a, it becomes a corporation. And I think some of the people that are not happy with this idea of creating a treasury are like, wait a minute, who the fuck's going to do all this? Right. Like, they're like, they're like, what, um, like how, like this, be, in a lot of DAOs that got formed in the last, um, you know, Bruce and I were joking about this a bit, like a lot of the DAOs that got formed in the last couple of years were just simply just straight up normal centralized organizations, but worse. Right. Like, that's why so many of the various DAOs and whatever, uh, you know, go to oblivion because like they don't have the, you know, like who are they actually accountable to? Who is their fiduciary duty to? Is it to themselves? Is it to the coin holder? Is it to the people using the platform? Like, wh- like who, 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 like, it's just not even clear, like, um, you know, what is considered the proper sort of like um, framework, ethics and morality regarding the expenditure of these kinds of funds. And you talk about a half a billion dollars, like, you know, for sure, there's going to be graft and corruption for sure. It's a of given. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pretty nuts. And, and just like the entire concept of it is completely crazy. I mean, you should always, I think one thing to remember about DeFi, certainly up to this point, is that governance is a WhatsApp group. A hundred percent. Governance is a WhatsApp group. Never. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, bunch of retards on telegram just passing messages back to each other is what we are (laughs) (laughs) and and this is this is how things get decided and uh no one really has like you know what are you going to do due diligence who does due diligence no one no one's going to do like oh we should fund this team i mean i mean even you know uh, obviously like sefi you had a little you dip your toes into this with the terror funding and stuff like how should we allocate this funding who which teams are dessert like should should we give money to and it's like it's just just no way like they they pretty much can just take the money and say, yep, sure, we'll launch something. And I guess, you know, you have gates, you've got gate, gated sort of allocations over time, and then they just don't get the last ones. But, you know, there's going to be teams in that list who took some free money and said, oh, well, there's no obligation for me to do anything. I'm and it's, gonna- hard, it's hard not to play favorites too, because at one level or the other, it's like, you know that some of these teams have credibly executed before, right? So there's already a kind of a pre-existing social consensus or at least uh, a resume, so to speak, that suggests that, okay, these people say that, well, they're not ready yet, but in a couple of weeks, they're going to have their audits done and they'll be able to post something. So you can, you can, you end up having to take people at their word. Um, I know one, um, so one project would happen, check this out. So, so I know um, one of the people in, in the project and, 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 and they're very credible. They're, you know, really, um, sharp, really good organization, and um, you know, uh, joined in kind of like building this project as kind of a manager kind of person, not so much from a tech person, right? And um, in the background, with using the insider knowledge of the smart contracts of the particular platform, 
um, someone within the team was able to um, take advantage of other people that otherwise wouldn't know about this, like, you know, smart contract nuance of some marketplace or some shit, right? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. So, but long story short, like, without naming a bunch of names and creating a thing, like, it's not that there was an actual rule broken. It wasn't a situation where, like, this wasn't public knowledge on the blockchain and someone could have taken advantage of, you know, this marketplace or whatever, buying things for cheaper than everybody else or something like that. Anyone could have had this alpha and, like, you know, in blockchain space, if you have some technical know-how, you you clearly can take advantage of certain ARBs and certain um, like certain discounts and shit like this. But it's the fact that like the person involved was part of you know a project that um, you know whose credibility is going to be dragged down if people find out that someone sort of did this, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing with I think there was an OpenSea employee that they had firsthand knowledge like which nft project was going to be like the poster poster nft project on the front page so therefore that employee was telling and and that yeah, one meant yeah. ed that one is a little bit easier to understand like that's yeah like some of these are straight up insider trading right but it's another thing to say like exploit some of the technical nuances of something it's totally legal by any normal st standard but it it's going to rub uh the, the other users of this platform that are going to show up the wrong way because yeah. you're just being a dick. Because in the end, everyone who like, if, if you're into DeFi or if you're into NFTs, you're just like, most people are aware that like, okay, there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. Cause this is the wild, wild West, but we kind of are just hoping for some type of level playing field. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't want the people on the inside, on the inside, really making horrible malice m moral bad decisions and then just wrecking it for everyone else you know because the reason we're here i think is because people are looking for a level playing field you know i don't know if that makes sense but yeah like this this illusion of like you know crypto is still a place where like uh, the the people with technical knowledge and technical know-how definitely can find alpha and and make a buck um you know where those that don't have this ability um or maybe even like the computing horsepower like when it comes to mev and things like that um yeah there, there's like um yeah it, it's kind of a wide open environment where the sharks are always in the water so just people have to realize this and this is why to me like so far like nft is a good example to me, NFTs are just straight up entertainment at this point. I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not necessarily like going into an NFT to buy it unless I think I can do so with my entertainment money, right? Like, because there are so many aspects of these things that are, I don't know, like, like they're still pretty dubious to me. Um, and uh, you know, is it all a fair playing field or not? Um, I, I think the answer is not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then, so just back to the Adam 2.0 thing, I think, did you see, you might not have saw with all the crazy news with BNB, but um, Yuga Labs, like the the main, I don't know. Yeah, ID, the ID, Huh? The, the, the board ape folks? Yeah, the board ape, the board ape, I don't know, the 
entity in charge that has the IP property. They they've they announced some council, like the council that's going to steer the board ape yacht club, and it's you know it's made up of several ape ho- ape holders. But then there are a lot of the other <laughs> every then everyone's just like everyone's criticizing. It's like, well, you know, why didn't I get picked for this and all that? And it's like, I think just a, just in decentralized governance, it's so messy right now. And it's like sooner or later, you have to get a group of people to steer the ship. And if, if there's, if you're, if you're, you're looking for people to have some type of um, council role or governance role, there's always going to be people criticizing. And so it's like finding that balance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I find I find it actually pretty impressive. Uh, like so far, um, I haven't been uh, approached by the scammy types of um, NFT projects. I haven't been like nobody's attempted to like create any fuckery or bribery or try to like pay me for something. I'm actually pretty impressed, actually, so far because it's. Uh, but at the same time, there there might be this idea that like people tend to target those that, um, you know, they kind of vet them and they kind of see who, who they think they can manipulate or maybe get away with that sort of thing with. So that may be part of it too. Like you're probably not going to try to get Zach XBT into a scam with you probably at this point, like <laughs> the risk is too high. <laughs> so maybe that's the reason why people haven't approached me for these kind of shenanigans, but I, I still find it surprising that it hasn't happened yet. I'm surprised with your following count that I'm I'm sure you get all kinds of NFT projects trying to get you to promote them, right? Like with Yeah, with I get your- I get I get occasional ones, yeah, and I, and I'm fine with kind of retweeting something or you know doing like a Yeah. you know, not but I'm not necessarily going to like get into <clears> some <throat> arrangements where you know, like and if if we do like a, I've had times when like a, doing a spaces or something and someone sends us a like sends me a free NFT or something like that, you know, whatever. I don't, you know, it's yeah. not a big deal. But at the same time, these aren't really worth anything. They're not like, they're not like super high value type of things. Um, but yeah. like, I'll just, you know, but then again, I'll, I'll oftentimes actually show it though. Someone like, usually when someone sends me something, like, especially if I did a spaces for them or something, I will actually post that, by the way, so-and-so sent me this, yeah it's like a disclosure type of thing yeah so that way it doesn't look like um you know but at the same time like i tend to prefer to have a like at least some sort of quasi neutral stance i don't know whatever like if that's even possible that way um you know it doesn't seem like i'm favoring like uh, some very specific groups over others i just don't i don't want to be in a situation where i feel like okay, like certain groups or whatever did something for me and now I sort of owe them something. I don't really like that feeling. Does that make sense? Well, exactly. And it's it's kind of the conversation, you know, I was having in another space with like, you know, YouTube, certain, you know, YouTube influencers where you're, you know, it's, it's paid promotion. You know, it's like, if it's paid promotion, that you, if you look hard enough, you can see some of the disclaimers. And I think that's all most people just want to know. It's like, is this, is this a pay for, promotion and stuff like that but back to the back to the uh, governance issue and i I don't know like sefi i love hashing this out with you because i know you think about it and i know you've like been in the professional world long enough to where it's like it's even hard for large corporations to spend money and not waste a crap ton of of money you know and it's like i think like I, i i mean i know like in juno it's like they're trying to hand 
some of the governance over to to the sub DAOs and to DAO DAOs. It's like you know these devs. A lot of them just want to do dev work. Like they want they want to build the stuff. They want to build the technology, but they don't. You know, it's like someone's got to steer the ship. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I just think that's kind of like the phase that Cosmos and Juno. Juno especially is in right now. It's like you got this great technology, but you also need the business development. And it's like, I think that's the one key kind of part we're kind of missing in Cosmos and Juno is the business development. Like Polygon is the opposite. They have centralization and they have like killer killer business development and brand. But I think it's cool though, in the sense that, um, you know, you have uh, something like SEI Network um, which is venture backed and it's going to be, it's going to have a certain amount of either financial or validator centralization as a result of that. Um, you have other chains like Juno, which attempt to be much more of a community type project. Uh, I, I think what's the bull case for in general, the cosmos is, that sovereign governance allows people to choose whatever the fuck they want, right? Like if they want to be on, uh, let's say, for example, in the future, you have a decentralized version of Uber, right? You could you could credibly assume that that could happen. And, you know, you'll have people that are like, no, I want to have like accountability. I want to have someone to sue if something goes wrong. I'd rather use Uber because I have these this possibility. Centralization. Um, provides me certain benefits. And then there's other people that are saying, well, maybe, but I'd rather pay less money for my cab ride. I'd rather have it on this decentralized system. Maybe I'll pay like 50% less. Um, maybe there's less middlemen and money going out of the system. But at the same time, there's decentralized, you know, economy means decentralized culpability, like I said before, and there's no one to go through if something fucks up. So therefore, like you're willing to sacrifice some security for maybe something that's financially cheaper or something like that. So I think the cool thing about Cosmos is that like the Cosmo, the, the, the sovereign chain concept allows you to have lots of different, um, yeah. political different, experiment, different experiments and different governance styles. It just seems like, yeah. And I don't even think like one is superior to the other necessarily. I think they're just different in the sense that like, you know, you may have, you know, you know, you you may have you may resonate more with a chain that has like maybe higher inflation rates, with, or maybe higher amounts of socialization, or higher amounts of capital. You know, uh, I'm sorry, uh, like a capitalistic um, system or whatever. The bottom line is like whichever one resonates with you, you can just use whatever you want as far as like gov governance, political philosophy, and that's another thing too. Like that hasn't really invaded the the, the crypto space, but it's going to. Because the more everyone says, "Oh, we want mass adoption," yeah, sure you do. What you are is a libertarian techno nerd, and you don't want you don't want mass adoption. <laughs> you like you like to be like we all like to be in this like elite place where like no, you know the masses aren't actually there yet is what we really like. And when all the rest of those people come, guess what you get? You get religion, you get politics, you get all of that shit, and you're going to have all of that in crypto in terms of like um, because when it comes to money, right? Um, you know, politics follows automatically. And then how you distribute that money, who you use it on, where you use it, all of that stuff becomes like um, contentious at one point or the other when, when, when you bring everybody in. Um, so yeah, when you at first have just tech people in, I think governance is, even, even, even then it's fairly complicated. What do you deploy this on? 
what are the financial reasons why you're doing what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But then when you add in all this other bullshit, it just becomes the usual bureaucracy of the world. And I think um, having sovereign blockchains allows people to not have to argue uh, about any one political philosophy or one ideology on that chain. They could just use a different chain if they have something they prefer. And I think that's kind of, um, that can either be good or bad. It's good in that, like, it's, it's, you have choice. It's bad in that it tends to, tends to silo everyone into warring um, tribals, tribalistic sort of factions. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see how this Yuga Labs Council, like wh- how they're dealing with the legal aspect of it all. Because, I mean, because really that's why I, I think a lot of times a lot of people shy away from some of this governance and council stuff is because it's like they, want, they don't want to be implicated legally when, you know, things go downhill really hard you know and you got to protect your you know you got to protect yourself but um i know with dow dow and the sub dows that's how they're trying to do it but it just seems like the dow format just to me and i think you know we've had this conversation in some other spaces it's just it can just drag out so long and it, unless you have people that are really interested in that project you're not it's a whole not lot to, inter- yeah. it's not just interest it's like to, to participate in those things it arguably is a full-time job. Like it's time consuming. Yeah, like I saw what exactly. karma did. I saw what karma did for doing like organizing all the goddamn spreadsheets for the terror emergency fund allocation council. And she does a shit ton of work. Like none of that's paid. The community is never going to go back and like thank her or whatever. Like uh, probably 99.9% of people don't even know she did the work. Um, so it's just like people grinding away in the background, getting the job done. And she's not even getting paid for it. Like all the like, if if all of the people that got paid using that emergency allocation fund, uh, and they got paid, then why didn't she get paid for sitting around working fucking spreadsheets day after day after day, and then us getting on phone calls for an hour at a time, you know, every week to sort of like figure out where we are with these things? I mean, it's all this shit's a lot of work, and the reality is, is that like. If we get paid, there's one set of problems because then it's like various different conflicts of interest. And then you create like uh, an entrenched bureaucracy of people that get paid to sit around like in a, in a big governance circle jerk. And if you don't pay anybody, it's like, wait, why are, who's going to do this work? Right. People that are really good at this sort of thing, you know, they're probably eventually going to run out of volunteer time. And then you have you have a different set of problems. So I know like. Not to say that I wanted to really get paid for this. I just like outright volunteered because some people nominated me. I was like, all right, fine, whatever. But I didn't realize how much work I was getting myself into. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll do this. And I didn't realize like, oh, wait, we're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing that. And we're going to be vetting this and that and the other thing. And then, oh, my God, it just keeps going on and on and on. Um, it's been going on for several months now. And uh, Karma, God bless her soul, like she's done way more work than me. Uh, so I have nothing to complain about comparatively. But man, if she didn't do her part of it. I mean, like, holy shit, we wouldn't we wouldn't be anywhere right now if you were waiting on me to do all that shit. That's for damn sure. <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Avi, did you uh you popped up? Do you have any points about this <laughs> fun discussion? Yeah, I think I I think we were kind of the main discussion was focused around like community governance and all this type of stuff and like how it's like in a big experiment. I think the the only point that I really wanted to bring up is like I think that I mean, like, I don't know if this is specifically the case with Juno and maybe why they're taking the more aggressive approach, but I think that there is like a very se- serious legal um, concern, like on the parts of like a lot of these different projects where they're trying to make sure that 
you know, if they are putting out a narrative that things are like community driven, that that's actually the case, because if it ever comes down to it um, and they get large enough to where eyes kind of like fall on them, then at least there are like plenty of things to point to, to be like, okay, well, this is truly decentralized, correct. Like these people started the chain, but the distribution, you know, was skewed heavily towards the community. And then as you can see, like the community basically came up and formed these sub DAOs and then people were elected to them and things were distributed and all that kind of stuff. And like, I don't know, there was some news about, I guess, some DAO that recently came under like regulatory scrutiny by the CFTC and how they're like trying to hold like all the DAO members that like voted uh, like culpable, um, which is kind of insane. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to be really interesting to see like where legals, legal battles like that play out. And, and you understand now why I prefer to stay anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Right, like fuck that. Like I've been around this world long enough to know that no good deed goes unpunished. If you're in medicine in particular, you'll understand this quickly. Um, yeah, there, there's no reason to mix. Like there's no, like, there's no reason to sort of like, like, I don't know, shit where you eat or whatever you call it. Um, it does not make sense to be doxxed in this, in this environment at all. It just, you're not protected in any way, shape or form. So it's like whoever feels like coming after whoever. Um, so it's just not cool. Like, that's why I don't do it. But then at the same time, that makes it harder for, um, when in, in an anonymous situation, even DAO members or whatever, it makes it harder to form like a uh, track record of credibility of some kind, right? Because how are you going to, how do you do that exactly? Yeah. So, so, I mean, I don't want to like hijack the conversation into that direction, but I have some thoughts on that. If, if we want to. No, go ahead. We're just, we're just shooting the shit. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I mean, the thing, the thing that I like the most about crypto um, and this idea of like having people that are basically profile pictures is it reminds me a lot of like when I was younger and you were like, you know, participating in like all these different like communities or guilds as like an online gamer. And you're just kind of like meeting all these people and like you don't know like what they look like. And you basically just judge them based off of like maybe their performance in the game and like the conversations that you have. And I think that like obviously in a game, there's like levels that you can achieve and like quests that you can finish. And you kind of get these like notches in your belt of like, oh, okay, like this person is this level. They must have worked hard enough to like. Yeah, like, absolutely. Right. So we're yeah. kind of moving in that direction, I feel like. And in this whole like proof of, um, attendance protocol and like all these other different like DAO tooling things that are coming up like that is 100% going to enable us I think to remain anonymous and have that protection while still establishing like a track record it'll be it'll be like medical shit right like you, you'll be at the end of a space and there'll be like a fucking quiz you got to take to make sure you're paying attention <laughs> it's like oh Avi's been paying attention to the last uh, 700 like meetings regarding the cosmos he probably is smart enough to sort of like figure out you know how to be in a governance board or something right like it's almost like a resume uh, problem that you end up having because otherwise how are people going to trust me with a half a billion dollars right like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is Trust why, me, bro. like, I, I I totally commend the people, like, for example, like, I think a big one in Juno is like Kevin Garrison, like, you know, goes above and beyond to do a lot of like active work. And Kevin's like, awesome. He works hard. And it's obviously recognized. But yeah, it's like, it's tough, because like, those guys, and also the core one guys who are docs, it's like, yeah, they're vulnerable. And if like, Juno gets too big and they're going to come after someone and they want to serve somebody like they're going to pick a human being that they can actually like find. And it's scary. I think it's like, it's one of those things where, um, 
yeah, we, we deal with that on a day-to-day basis. Maybe we don't think about it too much because it's like anxiety inducing, but it's a very real concern. Yeah. What was interesting is I had, I had the fortune, um, like partly by luck and partly by skill or whatever you want to call it, um, to, to have been in, um, the, the sort of like at the time back in 99 or so, uh, in a, a guild on EverQuest that was actually the most uh, famous sort of guild of all time for any video game at the time, like for, in fact, it was more popular, well, more well-known than any guild of any game ever by that point. Um, and I was at the top of, in the top little group of people that played this thing and in that guild. And, and so I had a chance to sort of watch, you know, how the leadership worked, um, what kind of shit people tolerated, what kind they didn't, how many people you'd get like direct messages from saying, Hey, can I join your guild and all that kind of shit. Right. You, you know what I'm talking about if you've done this. But yeah. at a level where we were the absolute pinnacle, right? Like right at the top. So you can imagine the, like anything that we said, right, would become news in that community of, I don't know, half a million players of the game or however many people were, were, were playing at the time. And, um, and it would go out worldwide and anything that got posted on our website or whatever, just, you know, everyone was talking about it or whatever. And um, you'd have like a bunch of people that would like attacked the guild master just who don't even know him or whatever just saying you know bullshit right like just jealous drivel and kind of like just gossip and whatever um yeah so many interesting dynamics when you when you watch this sort of thing and we had like a separate irc channel separate from the guild chat channel so that the like guild leadership people can chat and kind of talk about things and you know all that kind of stuff but you're right like in that environment the difference was like uh you had um, a vetting process where people that knew what they were doing and how to play the game was were watching other people and how good they were at it. How good were they at taking orders if, you know, if, if you're trying to coordinate something? How good are they at showing up on time? How good are they at, um, like, when the going gets tough and everyone's pissed off and everyone dies 10 times in a row, how, how, who's bitching and who is actually just trucking on, right? You remember all that. Um, so yeah, there's certainly a, um, element of sort of trial by fire, but it's just less, uh, the crypto space and governance, I think is somewhat like that. Uh, but it's not as clean as that, I would say in terms of your ability to sort of vet people, if that makes sense. And, and even that you'd have weird shit happen too, Avi, like remember in gaming, like when there'd be some like um somebody would form an alt and they would level it up and they'd be from another guild and they're trying to like they're like little spies and shit like they're trying to figure out like what you're doing first and how you're doing it and then taking that alpha back to their group and all that kind of bullshit right you can imagine that sort of stuff happening in places like cosmos where um everyone's open and everyone's willing to sort of like hang out with anybody you can imagine uh people that are nefarious there's no reason why they wouldn't necessarily consider uh, like taking positions on governance boards and stuff, right? Yeah. Hey, Dcar, I'll, I'll let go you go. I just I yeah. want to say one thing real quick for uh, before I forget. Honestly, I just forget shit. Um, this is why I'm like super bullish on Dow Dow. Like I think that Dow Dow is literally solving all of this, and it's all on their roadmap. And like, I think people look at like. DAO tooling is like, oh, that's going to be a cool way to organize. They don't realize it's like that type of infrastructure is necessary for the growth of the rest of the ecosystem. And like until we have those things set up, 
like, yeah, it is going to be like just a lot of like pirates roaming around, like good shit and bad shit happening at the same time. And yeah, anyways, I think, I think like the next step or the next frontier for governance right now with the formation of sub DAOs is exactly what you said earlier, which is like, how do we not only compensate people for the work that they're doing, but like, how do we have like the proper tracking in place? How do we have proper reporting? Like, I think people have just been like, oh, this is fucking crypto. Like, we don't do financial reporting. It's like, okay, sure. Like, if you want to be like that, fine. But like, why not? Because if you did do it and you kind of established that as kind of like, this is the next level of professionalism that we're willing to take this to, then like, that's the type of transparency that people appreciate and gravitate towards. So I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, it's unless... like DeFi is like cool until it's just TradFi, right? <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, I guess. But, but like, exactly. there's a reason why there's a reason why they do it, right? Like, of course, yeah, of course. No, all all of the things people like get upset about with TradFi, like a lot of that was there for a reason. It's because like either problems or like it's beneficial to the system or whatever. It's not like everything that's ever been invented is just stupid, you know. Like anyway, Dcar, go ahead. But DK, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go for it, man. What's up? <laughs> uh, Talking about all these NFTs and all the things. I'm from Finland, okay? But how would it be if we unite the NFTs, cryptos, and everything else with the real world? I mean, the pulp business. And that could unite the whole fucking world. Pulp business. Pop as in what? Uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Every fucking human in the world had to wipe their ass. We did the paper for them. <laughs> oh, he's in the pulp business. Oh, yes. Pulp. Okay. Like, is yeah. it like chopper pumps and stuff? Like, is that what you're talking about? Uh, we chop the whole forest. We bring them to the plant and we do the paper. Sure. So oh, pulp. What's your, like what's your, P-U-L-P. What's your pulp. Yeah. Yeah. Pulp, like like, like yeah. orange juice pulp. Like that yeah, kind yeah. of pulp. Yeah. And okay, the scriptures, the new age, the new age want always want to. Uh, sorry, fuck. I'm from Finland. I don't speak English very yeah, well. Yeah, hard time expressing. <laughs> I get it. You're saying like with all this new shit, like how, like is it gonna, is it gonna, is there gonna be a business for paper or something like that? Yeah, or but, or at least like how can how we can, you we can unite the fucking crypto to the paper business because people are gonna shit all the all their lives. We do the paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please keep making toilet paper. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, like NFTs and all this bullshit is gay, but like, yeah, you like yeah. Make, make toilet paper so that we can uh, wipe our ass for sure. Yeah, but this can be united. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, hey, Ruben, what's it, up? It can. I, I, I have a big idea, but fuck, I'm drunk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> buy crypto with toilet. I'm gonna buy toilet paper with crypto, or vice versa. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> all right, brother. <laughs> Okay. Hey, Ruben, what's up? I'm too drunk. I can't explain this now. That's all right. It's all right. Your English. Here, Ruben I'm, had a I'm, question. I'm really glad you tried, though. 
I tried, yes. <laughs> Your English is much a, better I, than my Finnish, so this, that's a start. I had a good idea how I going to pronounce this whole shit, but didn't go. It it went away. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, man. <laughs> Can't see you guys. <laughs> so uh, I, I have a I have a uh, an idea that I've been messing around with for the last. I oh, mean, I want to say like five, six years now, uh, and it, it relates to businesses, including but not limited to the pulp business. If you're interested in hearing it, Decar, go for it. Yeah, I'm interested. So you know how uh, when you go to the supermarket and you purchase things, um, each of the items, generally speaking, they have a little barcode on the side, right? But outside of the barcode which just gives you, um, you know, the name of the item. I can't really see where the item came from, right? Like, I can look on the ingredients list. Um, I can look at the company. I can see where they're based, this kind of thing. But I wonder whether or not it's possible, especially when it comes to complex products, um, whether I might be able to see, for example, if there are multiple forests which are being harvested for a single uh, supply of pulp for a particular line of products. If I wanted to see which forests this pulp came from, how I yeah. might find this information, right? Yeah, actually, people have been uh, working on this, actually. Um, one of the projects that's relevant to your, your point is a V-chain, actually. Um, the idea is to have a, like, uh, from start to finish, where did all the pieces of the product come from? Uh, like, did did they did the medicine or whatever get produced before things expired? The you know, or where are the ingredients sourced from? Or for that matter, like uh, if I have a fancy luxury item, is this a fake or a real one? Um, you know, how how can you prove that? How can you demonstrate that? You know. What is the chain of custody of all the components that went into this thing? So I think what you're talking about is something like V-Chain. So yeah, there are people working on that. It's definitely an area of uh, interest. Um, and some of the luxury goods companies are particularly interested, like uh, your Louis Vuittons and things like that, to be able to bring, um, like, because forgeries um, in particular are relevant when it comes to like the switch watch industry, um, some of the French fashion industry and other types of things. Um, maybe even to like fancy shoes and shit like that, I guess. But, um, yeah, there is, there is an element of this for sure going on. Um, and, uh, this idea of using, uh, potentially like NFTs for this purpose, um, is something in very much active development at this point by lots of groups. I don't even know all the different names, honestly. Um, I, so yeah, it's a thing, but certainly worth researching if you're interested or you're yeah, to be honest, I, um, I, I could probably only be excited about that for so long. Um, I, I try to take on problems that I know that I'm going to be excited about for at least like five years, right? Um, right, right. So, so I have a lot <laughs> yeah. of respect for the people who are taking on provenance for physical goods. Um, that being said, um, I think the other under-visible opportunity there is um, uh, buying groups, right? And so to the extent that like there's a bunch of people who like, organic tomatoes or 
non-slavery diamonds or something, right? Um, to the ex- if you can secure the provenance of the supply chain, not only are you able to sort of say, hey, um, you know, and I use the example of uh, energy production, for example, um, in certain areas, uh, it is shown to be um, a sort of a net positive return on investment financially for, you know, medium grade municipal solar supplies or even just really large battery storage, right? But the problem is in these areas is that the, the local government will switch out like five years and the return cycle and the investment will be like 10 or 15 years. And so it makes sense for people who are living there for 30 years, but nobody's asking that question and no local government has the balls to do something which extends beyond their ability to get reelected. However, and this is a problem because the capex is pretty serious, but if you could build a structure where it said, look, I'd like you to pre-purchase your power by putting your money into this thing. We'll give you discounts on the power once it turns up. Um, But I just want you to agree that if the power happens in this way, then you will purchase it. Go around the relevant stakeholders in that community, get them to sort of basically set up a buying group so that the demand order is there. Now that person can go to an investor and say, look, the sales have already done. This is no longer a market risk. This is a execution risk, right? So you sort of have the, uh, the class and, and the time and the effort. And I wonder or not at a certain scale to the ex- that whether you could sort of incentivize supply chain parties to adopt the technology because they can get an extra 15% if they can prove that further up the chain there's sufficient demand by a bunch of people who happen to care about where their stuff comes from. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. Like, for example, uh, let's say there's a, a, a farmer and he's trying to decide, okay, you know, what does the market look like for this particular spice? And, uh, hey, but look, there's a lot of people that want to eat Thai food or something. There's not enough basil or something like that being, um, you know, produced. So I can fill this, like, supply-demand gap or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think there's an element of this for futures markets and all sorts of things. Um, you know, like, yeah, the, the practical applications of everything you're talking about are, are uh, like, um, it, it basically Super. democratizes, yeah. it democratizes essentially what, uh, people are doing when they're kind of crowdfunding, like you've seen those crowd starter crowdfunding type um websites you know where like someone's like oh i want to build some like watch or something but i don't have the money to produce this but if you guys think this is really cool looking then we'll take pre-orders for a hundred thousand of these and all you have to do is commit to paying for them you commit the money and that money's only released if this product is actually produced but like now you get this interesting product that otherwise would not have come to market because the person doesn't have the ability to take that kind of risk out of their own pocket but here now they know they have a buyer and uh, that's a very different value proposition for both the buyer and for the um, seller of that particular thing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. One of the, the framework that I've um, I found useful for looking at this stuff, it's, um, nothing to sell here, uh, but it's basically like there's that, which there's that, which is right. Like, like the opportunities that one has then inside of that circle, there's like a smaller circle, which are opportunities that, um, you're aware that you have it's much, much smaller circle. Uh, and then inside that, there's another one, which is like opportunities that you have, which you're aware that you have, 
which are sort of net positive in terms of your energy versus return on investment, right? And so, like, historically, as a species, we've tried to close that gap between what we can do and what we know we can do with education and what we can do and what makes sense and what is worth doing with automation. And so, like, uh, when you look at there's like Kickstarter was the perfect example of that because there wasn't anything preventing somebody from knocking on doors and saying, Hey, if will you sign this piece of paper saying that you'll give me $2.50 if I go make a, a paperclip that's also a dog, right? Like everyone could have done that. But somebody built, um, reduced the individual burden of surfacing, access, commitment, so on and so forth. Uh, and it feels like as we go from sort of vertical technology stacks on closed data sets to an open data set, which is sort of it fundamentally changes the, the tech stack on stop because, I mean, if I don't like the interface that I'm using, I guess I'll just make a new interface, right? I'll just add a different module. I'll check a browser extension on, right? So the tech stacks, the tech stacks go from vertical to horizontal. Um, and it feels like with sort of increased granularity and modularity, we have um, uh, increased agency as individuals, not unlike when we went from going on the, the, the internet being like msn.com or aol.com to like, well, actually, where do you want to go? <laughs> Why do you type so? Here's Google. Here's search, right? Uh, and it feels yeah, like... Yeah, and that, uh, that, can even, yeah. that can even play out, Ruben, in stuff like, uh, like 3D printing, for example. Whereas like, if I buy a 3D printer from my town... Um, I don't know if I have enough crap that's going to be produced on this thing to make it worth having. But if the time on this device or whatever could be um, like uh, brought to the crowd somehow, then the proposition changes where you're able to use this machine much, much more effectively. Um, it's it's where the, the, the amount of cycles of uh, production can actually be optimized. Um, and or like you said like if people know there's a demand for this thing then it makes perfect sense for a business to just go buy a 3d printer or whatever it is and deploy it in that particular town or locality so yeah the geolocation part of it could also be interesting as well uh in terms of like better resource management and everything else so yeah huge amount of like uh customization and like like you said i think it does uh maybe improve the possibility for uh, individual customization a lot more than the current model model of like manufacturing supply chains. Yeah. Cool. Good ideas. Yeah. It's always a fun topic to cover these things. What do, what do you think? Dcar? still water's running deep. Right? Oh, I think, oh, I think D is not there at the moment. <laughs> um, oh, Hey Jack, what's going on? Yeah. Anything cool happening lately? Uh, you know, I'm at a wedding in France, uh, just, uh, hanging out. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were we were talking a little bit about the the Atom two, like uh, treasury size and all of that. Like, um, like, what's your? Do you have do you have like the the one minute version of what you think about <laughs> what that should be? Since 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 our last conversation oh, yeah. on Monday, like, I don't know if much has changed. Jack, have you heard that much? I mean, you know, it, it's it, look the allocator thing is, is sort of this fundamentally new idea where you can have communities that are making covenants with each other. And what the Adam, what Adam 2.0 is saying is that Adam should lean into this and be able to offer investment 
from the Atom community to new communities that are joining the interchain. And with Atom not having a way to profit from the growth of the interchain, this is a great way to do that. Then there's also obviously the, the, the sort of scheduler and MEV pieces. But in order to do this investment piece, you do need a large treasury. And the best way to do that is with this kind of one-time mint into the Atom treasury to create this war chest that the Atom distribution, i.e. stakers and Atom holders, can use to invest in projects around the interchain. The Atom distribution has been really good at doing this. And like one way that this is manifested is through airdrops in the past. But those are sort of these very short-term economic relationships that, that are not necessarily beneficial for both sides, i.e. Atom holders, as well as the folks who build these other tokens. And this is a way to build much more long-term relationships with the Atom distribution that will benefit both the Atom distribution as well as these new chains joining the interchain. Mm. Uh, could you, I, I think I understand when I have Atom, what it means if a project to get me interested throws me an airdrop my way. Um, how, so as an Atom holder or staker, um, this new sort of allocator model, like maybe describe in like lay terminology, like what, what does that mean? Like, yeah. Uh, how does this, how does a new chain or new project use this thing? And then how does that then benefit the atom holder? Yeah. The, uh, the new project would say, Hey, Adam treasury, we want you to invest in our new project. And then the Adam treasury, if they do, would send them some atoms in return for the tokens from the project. And then the Atom Treasury would then own those tokens. And this Atom Treasury is then owned by the Atom Stakers. So the Atom Stakers then have a share of all of these tokens within the interchain. I got to jump for a minute. I'll be right back. Yep, cool. Um, Sounds like he, I hope he's like not actually in the wedding, like part of the wedding party. <laughs> he's probably like he's like the pallbearer like, or something. He's like, I gotta give a speech. One minute. <laughs> yeah, I got I gotta give the 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 best man speech. I'll be right back. But it wouldn't surprise me because Jack Jack is always like he's he's <clears throat> he's always wanting to be involved and uh, trying to reach out to uh, get get the common sense good word out of like what's actually going on. Um, but the you know what, Sefi, I. I I still want to reread that the white paper again, and I I really hope that maybe they could do a light paper that once the prop gets put up for vote. Yeah, can... well, it, you you need the version that all uh, all of us retards can understand, right? Like that's the thing. Like the it, the, the white paper is pretty complicated, and I think most people probably would not have taken the time to read it anyway. So yeah. like, yeah, the 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 PowerPoint three page version would be good. Yeah. It's like it's Sefi, it's like it's like those academic papers that like you know are important to read, but like you have to print out and then like fucking take pen to paper and like circle shit and like exactly do more, do more research on like the one sentence that like you didn't understand. Like that's how I feel about it. I've literally got it printed out and started marking it up, but I'm also hesitant to continue doing it because I'm like, I know there's gonna be like a lot of discussion around like some things that maybe need to be changed or clarified or whatever. Um, I think the, I don't know, I guess this is like a tangential discussion, but like, there's also another proposal up right now on the hub for discussion, um, that is talking about like the expansion of the active set. There's been a lot of people talking about this idea of like 
oh, the ICF is undelegating. So like maybe we should wait until that happens first before we see like what the minimum to get in right now is. But like right now, like the minimum amount of Atom to get into the active set is like a million dollars worth of Atom, which is like kind of insane, honestly. Um, and I yeah, don't know. I mean, some someone had just asked me for that. Um, like, uh, yeah, some of it, like, and I was like, yeah, I think I've got like about a, a half million bucks worth. So I was like, I was going to help one of the, like someone who wanted to get into the active set kind of do that. But like, yeah, it takes a lot of money for sure. Like, or you have to have like a group of friends or something that are going to be able to bring you up to the active set quickly and then kind of like move from there. So it just depends. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, trust me, like I can appreciate the importance of like having and like forming those alliances and like going out and talking to people. But like, I think the other thing too is kind of like, I mean, if the hub's going to become this kind of destination for consumer chains to come and like rent security from, then I think that like, obviously it'll be need to be necessarily expensive to like get in, but I don't know if a million dollars is the right threshold. So like the, the, the thing I was kind of wondering about and like, just, I don't know, spitballing here to see what people think is like, what, like, when it comes to chain expansions, like should that be something that people decide like this is how much it should cost to like become a validator on this chain and we just set that like arbitrary number and then as soon as it gets like prohibitively expensive, we just like put up an expansion prop or like do we just decide randomly every once in a while like, well, you know, we should expand the active set like we haven't expanded it in a while. Like that seems like something that maybe should be like protocolized to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah a, lot of it, a lot of it has technical uh, implications too, as far as the the consensus and making making the network more decentralized, which obviously is a good thing. But then again, we still have the issue with the top ten validators having a majority of the delegations. So yeah, expanding the validator set has, I mean, it's all the stuff like. Well, let, let's yeah. be clear. Let's be clear. There, expanding the set does not decentralize the set like that's not what i'm saying right because, exactly yeah. because like that's false like anyone who thinks that or says that doesn't understand like anything about anything like the the expanding the set reduces the barrier to entry for, for the validators lower, for the lower to, tier to, of exactly yeah exactly and and that's really what it's in my opinion about the the stuff about like centralization and like consensus and even like some of the arguments about like reduced block time like that all that stuff is super negligible actually it's not really a huge deal um, it's just a matter of whether or not we want to expand the set really and reduce that barrier to entry and so that's why I'm wondering like should there be a, a like thing that we agree on where we're like it should cost X amount of dollars to get into the active set and anytime it's like double that we should expand it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the exact right math on the thing is. Like, um, there's definitely people that have thought this through extensively, and there's a lot of uh, sort of war game theory that goes into it too. Because if you make this, you have too many of the smaller validators, but they're not of high valuation. Not only do they can they not override the um, actions of maybe the top ten validators, but actually you might dilute their the voting power of all the little guys even more. Uh, and and make it harder to create a voting block against those groups. It's almost like why in like uh, governments typically around the world, you usually wind up with like a two or three party system at most. And beyond that, it's hard to marshal enough resources to make like a 10 party system or something like that work in any meaningful way. And usually like two or three parties end up winning. It's like the duopoly triopoly problem almost every time. 
it's like this, it's like the natural order of things to some extent. And, um, fighting that is actually really difficult long run. Although you may be able to do some, like you, you may be able to play around the edges in the short run. It's very hard to fix that long run. But anyway, um, Hey, uh, Bruce, what's up? Or actually it's avatar Django Django. The hell man. Like, please uh, say my name properly. Bajongo. It's Bajongo. I have to use the B in front of it. Is yeah. it? Is Same it properties? Avatar okay. Bajongo Bajongo. Welcome, Avatar Bajongo <laughs> Bajongo. Welcome to the space. Thank you. What everyone. do you think should happen to people who cast governance votes on blockchains? Um, I think you're, if you're at the stage of doing that, then life has gone very wrong for you. Like up to that point, like there's a particular path, a particular journey you need to follow to be the kind of person who votes on a blockchain where stuff has gone very, very wrong. And there's a severe absence of living, of laughter, of love in your life. Um, I'm just cooking now, though, so I can't go into too much depth. Let me cook, please. Mm, thank you. <laughs> hey, Austin, what's going on? Yo, just wanted to come up here and uh, listen in. Actually, was wanting to kind of touch on the fact of um, kind of examples that already exist when it comes to like decentralized protocols, kind of loaning out uh, tokens to bootstrap projects, and kind of just wanted to see if like you guys had any ideas on what kind of like you know some common practices could look like post bootstrap with um, you know the ownership of those new tokens to other protocols. How might, you know, protocols take advantage of that newly acquired assets from the new uh, other protocol and just share some thoughts on that? Are you talking about kind of like protocol owned liquidity ideas like where, uh, so like you're a new project and you are trying to get existing uh, projects and protocols that have a sizable treasury like DAOs and things like that to maybe um buy a portion of your assets is that kind of what you're describing yeah even more general than that kind of like you know say you're a protocol that has loaned out from your treasury your tokens to bootstrap a new protocol and now you own new protocol tokens in your treasury what would be some like i just wanted to see what you guys think would be some like awesome ways to utilize that value that has now been transferred over to ownership to the original protocol kind of i mean like for example i could see like liquid staking or you know, utilizing it in terms for something for the community as a whole, instead of just having them sit in the treasury, not do anything. Oh, are, are you talking about just like the, the Adam 2.0 discussion earlier? That yes, yes, yes. That's treasury. why I came up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So we have this big, massive pile of money, half a billion dollars or whatever in the Adam treasury. Um, you know, is it possible to utilize this in some way to benefit the community? I would say probably not. I mean, like the number one thing that you're doing when you're doing this, number one, is you're printing new tokens. So any attempt to sort of like put this into circulation, um, including using it for paying development uh, fees, is going to lead to um, dilution of the existing holders. So... Yeah, there's not really a, a a great way to use the treasury in any way um, while it's sitting there that that I'm aware of. Um, I think it just is causes net dilution ultimately. Um, 
I think also what you use this money for signals intent. And large investors, um, hedge funds or whatever large funds are going to buy, let's say the Atom token, um, are going to use any signals that suggest that um, they're either going to be dumped on or diluted to also uh, like dump tokens. So there is there is a sort of like signaling danger that I think is uh, in crypto, the signaling actually far um, like like demand from either memes or does demand from like price action demand from signaling like narratives far outpaces any kind of like supply nuances in terms of like let's say for example you were only going to put out um a million atoms tokens into you know you know you're, it's going to leave the treasury to go do something but the signaling that you have is that like hey any of this could eventually be distributed at any moment and it could cause mass dilution it makes people nervous very quickly so while the, the there may be a substantial lag in how much actual distribution happens the narrative spreads within seconds or within days of any of these changes that's the problem <laughs> like so uh narrative control is super super important and like one of the things i mentioned in the governance discussion was like when you start moving large treasuries um, you are sending a massive signal and you need to fuck with that at your own peril. Like, like there is a danger to um, like, yeah, playing with treasury assets and, and trying to do anything really particularly creative with it. I think they, should, that, uh, it's a they problem. should send you to a burn wallet, Sefi. They should send the whole thing <laughs> to a burn wallet. Like that, that'll fix everything. <laughs> Print it, then burn it. Right. Like that makes perfect sense. Actually, maybe that's what we should. That's what Luna classic should do. Like, um, like mm. for for a while you burn a fuck ton of it, and then you print a fuck ton, and then you burn it again, and that like <laughs> it just kind of yeah. creates a a recurring like narrative theme where like nobody fucking knows the tokenomics are at any given week, so you just randomize that shit, and then it creates like new YouTube fodder every week, right? Makes it's perfect sense. It's not deflation. Yeah. It's not inflation. Not deflation. Deflation. Yeah, it's just meme creation every week. Something new happens and creates a new narrative and then everyone just freaks out and buys, you know, whatever. <laughs> I got some really funny comments earlier because I was talking about Atom and uh, I've been kind of introducing the, the Lung people into the Cosmos. Like we're part of this family of chains. Everything's built on the Cosmos SDK. Um, how Atom unifies it all and provides um, interchange security and all this stuff and how we're all connected with IBC. Um, remember that that ARB opportunity, Sefi, where some of the USTC was trapped on osmosis. So it's going to be reconnected and then hopefully it will open up and stuff. Anyway, I was talking about um, Atom early. I was like, uh, you know, Lunk is part of the Cosmos family um, and Atom is like the, the daddy coin of the Cosmos. It's the, the king of the interchange security and all this stuff. And, and I can go into more depth, but I didn't. Um, but like the, the comments on that tweet was so fucking funny. It was like, Who's paying you to shill this new coin? <laughs> Who's like, <laughs> I thought you were with Lunk. Now you're shilling Atom. Who's paying you? I know you need to fill your own bags, but you need to be loyal to the community and all this stuff. Just really fucking vicious. So funny. Yeah, no, the, the retard quotient tends to be pretty high. So like, it's really funny. The, it's, it's entertaining. Like the bigger, um, like the more followers you have and the more rabid they are about whatever it is they followed you for. Um, the moment you veer away from that, right, you talk about anything else, it's just vitriol and chaos that ensue immediately. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even, even as not even 
like there are many axes to this, right? It's not even a different coin. Even if you have a sense of humor and you start joking around, they'll get really angry. They'll be like, I'm not following you for this. I'm following you for information about Lunk. Where's this fucking information? Post less and make sure you only post information, motherfucker. Yeah, stop, stop hosting spaces about like fucking and squirting and, you know, whatever. And get back to get back to work uh, shilling Lunk immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the, the, it's like a weird inversion. It's like the boss. They're, they're like the boss of you employing you. But hang on a minute. Aren't we the ones who just put in all our time and energy and like our effort and our money and donating and stuff like, hang on. How does this make any sense at all? Yeah, well, it makes sense because this person put money into whatever coin, right? So now all of a sudden, the, yeah, number the, go up. That's the deal. Number right? go number up. Go, yeah, yeah. So it's like they're they're emotionally invested, and now it's like you're fucking with the possibility that their children can leave poverty, and like the the soldiers, uh, like kid, remember from Pakistan, he can he's going to have like a future where maybe he becomes a you know I don't know the president of the country or some shit because he's gonna get he's gonna like make a billion dollars on Luna Classic tokens or whatever yeah it's pretty funny how, uh, how, are, how are they gonna get all of their how are they gonna extract all their wealth from crypto if if crypto doesn't go up right like like I don't know man I, I, I get frustrated because <laughs> it feels like the, like there's there's entire there's like swathes of conversation there's there's forums of sub forums and sub forums and like Okay, which which number go up? Is it this number? Is it that? I'm like, guys, guys, maybe we shouldn't be measuring it in this particular currency over here. Like, like let's 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 just a hypothetical. Let's just say this pans out. What do you think is going to happen to the the number of the thing that we're using to measure the things? Like, do, like that's do we re- do you really want to be measuring everything in the in the number that we we started to we the whole point of this thing is we were trying to get away from it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what it is like every sort of like uh, like cycle event, you have probably 90 plus percent of new entrants, 95 percent coming in because of number go yeah. up. They look at it as like an investment opportunity. They look at it a way to like take whatever money they have and make a few bucks. I get that. And then you have probably every cycle you have sort of a group of new diehards, right? Like. Right, people right, right. that got in last year that just just love everything about it. They discovered all sorts of nuances, whatever the hell. And now they're like the new diehards for the following season. Um, and then eventually you'll get these like you'll get a few people that are like, oh, I've been around since, you know, you know, 2006. I've been doing this since you were children and uh, we've been here forever. And uh, like, <laughs> you know, we'll make this kind of like, um, you know, I've seen this before. And, you know, like <laughs> you have these like, uh, I don't know, veterans or whatever, too. So yeah, every you know, Matt, every the, the, level. The, the settlement for Mount Gox finally paid out. Do you remember Mount Gox? Oh, did it finally? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did it, did they start distrib- distributing the settlement? I uh, I I believe so. Actually, um, the um, however, the uh, the actual claimant for that was bought out by a finance dude uh, and litigation funding about three or four years ago. Um, the fatigue set in. Um, I, I came across my desk because I was in class actions for about four years, which is about as exciting as it sounds. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some, yeah, some, I, there, yeah, there were several, co- a couple companies were trying to buy people out at a below, below market value rate just because they figured some people would rather take the cash now oh, and then, instead of wait three years for Mt. Gox to uh, distribute. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it was below market rate 
when the market rate was six thousand dollars of bitcoin yeah and even up till most recently but i mean i i find all this interesting especially what you guys are talking about also like when when does web 2 like start getting more involved or is it like the devs and the teams in web 3 are just going to have to build build a better protocol build a better ui user interface with some of the applications before some of the big web 2 players want to want to get in i mean they're starting to dip their toes a little bit you know with some of the rewards points and and if nfts and stuff you know that's that's kind of, that's what i'm waiting for you know so uh, I, um oh, jump in. oh yeah i'll jump in here being uh, a web 2 guy doing a bunch of engineering and then jumping over to web 3 when i had a opportunity of a client coming up and uh asking us to help them build uh help them build their their d5 project and honestly it's just confusing i think um, a lot of people in this space hear it. Uh, a lot of people in Web 2, there's like, it seems to me, my impression is like, there's all these skills in Web 2 um, and we put in the, the time <clears throat> to learn and do all this stuff. And uh, in Web 3, it's like this, for my impression coming in, I've always traded, but I've never done engineering in this space then coming in i'm like wow this is wild wild west like nobody knows what agile is nobody's doing like um it's, it's just like chaos and then also then i come in and there's all these uh weird um um acronyms for everything and people are speaking this foreign language and uh nobody knows what's quite going on yet um and so there's going to be, I think it's a, a learning curve, just I, there's not enough like, and uh, in, in that uh, I kind of came in the space because me and my buddy thought maybe there's an opportunity to bring Web 2 people into Web 3 because we were hearing all these uh, crazy things happening, like how, how do these, you know, like simple scams keep going on because somebody forgot a decimal point or something. So you're like, okay, let's check it out. And there is just so hard to learn. Like, where do you go to learn all this stuff? Um, especially <laughs> since there's chains coming out every other week um, uh, that, that need developers, et cetera, and they don't have enough documentation. Who's going to write the documentation? So that's been my impression so far. Yep, that's that's about yeah. right. Like, I, just I definitely agree with you. It, it is learning like learning a... Like Bajango likes to say. It is learning a foreign language. I'm not calling you fucking Bajango. What the hell is Bajango? I can't even say that right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, to, co back. to comment on that, it can be lear like learning a foreign language with all the acronyms. and. But then again, you have all the different chains have different wallets. And you trying to get just comfortable with using one digital wallet, It's it, there is a big learning curve. But So you said you're, you're in Web2. You've been involved with... Uh, what development of Web2 or what kind of... Um... Yeah, I did mobile. Um, I moved to backend. Um, I've ran whole teams uh, just just from an engineering manage, uh, manager standpoint. So I, I have, I've had my, tea, my, uh, my toe dipped in everything. So when I came over to Web3 and had this opportunity to help a team out, um, I did end up doing, like bringing on a bunch of different talent from Web2 
organize them. It's like, hey, this is what you need to hear, et cetera. Um, I think the hardest part, obviously the acronyms and everything, learning the wallet, but also guys, you have to learn the financial aspects. And these guys were talking to me about all these different things about how to like, hey, you have to learn about game theory. You have to set up the thing like this. So it discourages people to do this. And uh, that's just stuff we don't think about <laughs> when when you are uh, an engineer in Web2 space. Um, that you have to actually understand tokenomics, like if you're starting to go on the protocol side and all that stuff and um, how's, how's all this stuff gonna work together? Uh, what's, what, what should the fees be? Um, how do you discourage bad behavior? So there's, yeah, it, it's like, Kevin, where do you go uh, to learn that stuff Kevin, as an engineer? Point, one thing too uh, is that like a lot of this has been, like a lot of it has been sort of worked out to where like if you ask around, you can almost find out like what models have worked and what haven't. And then it's just simply a matter of just duplicating that model because ultimately um, if you have some special idea of what you want to build, um, I don't think you have to reinvent everything from scratch as far as um, like economic models and whatnot. It's not, it's a more of a question of like which model fits your particular business model or project and then you just just copy paste essentially at that point there's, you don't have to learn anything everything from scratch i don't think but yeah yeah and that would be really good if there was a central place like you're the first person who's told me that um i i figured as much like okay people are usually forking that goes on in everything right but um uh where do you go for the you know where's the best practices of somebody telling you oh yeah you don't you know this is kind of what's worked this is the history of this so uh there's not a lot of front center resources um and just i think just the effort of somebody building that out and uh getting that in front of people like if you see how kotlin or or swift became uh, kind of front and center brought on a lot of engineers is like there was a lot of upfront investment in education and incentivizing developers to come on or flutter or react. So once that's there, I think there'll be a, a, a good um, bridge for web two people to come in and kind of understand how to get involved. But right now it seems kind of like it's probably less complicated. Everything is always less complicated than it looks like, right? After all, you, you see all the acronyms and it looks crazy, but then you come in there, it's like, oh, it's just developing like normal. Um, yeah. If you've, if you've met a lot of the retards in the space, uh, you'll realize it's not that hard, right? Like <laughs> you can probably handle it. It's just a matter of like, it's, it's a matter of sort of like, uh, really getting in and digging in hard as far as determining that this is something useful for you in some way and then kind of building out from there. And then just learning like which platform would be useful for my particular business model, which blockchain would be useful. And um, that's why like a lot of times people that are are active developers sometimes just want to hear from people that have used these systems. Like sometimes it's like people hang out in these spaces that are um, like, have have entire projects of their own but like other people from other projects are there and people just ask each other questions and just kind of connect and um so people are pretty helpful in that regard uh cosmos is pretty interesting in that you can actually um spin up a chain a cosmos chain quite readily if you have some major project um it, it really is not particularly very difficult anymore to start even start a full blockchain um so yeah, Cosmos in particular is making this uh, easier. And one of the discussions was that like the Atom 2.0 treasury model of having a like almost a half a billion dollar treasure or something along those lines, 
to spur development uh, long term, long term, excuse me, um, <clears throat> is something that uh, is an active discussion as well. But yeah, a lot of programs have grants and things like that for certain developments um, that are deemed to yeah. be kind of like worthy as well. I would like to, um, one of my projects uh, coming up here is actually finding a way to aggregate all this data. Just even, even if it's blogs or just some, some, uh, some website that would say, okay, yeah, Cosmos has all this educational content. Um, here's grants they offer. Here's why you should use, you know, stuff like that as like a, as a centralized place where people can come and get like a good educational on-ramp to some of these uh, ecosystems. Cause it just seems like people here, you know, well, you have Ethereum then there's layer two, then there's layer two rollups wait, wait, and wait, wait, wait. <laughs> getting crazy. Oh, there is that. Oh no, I, I'm, I'm saying when wiki, I'm saying when, when is somebody building the, the, the repo? Like there, there, right. there, there should uh, be a, yeah. I'm yeah, there should be some yeah. cool place where people come and register like, hey, learn about our stuff. Here's here's where here's a definitive place where people come and get some education and onboard about whatever you guys are building and contribute. So that, I think that would yeah. float and, all boats. And, and Cosmos in particular has a pretty large uh, overall community because the chains on the Cosmos all are on the same development kit. So really, you have a fairly large resource base. Um, I don't, I'm not a developer myself, so I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly like which steps to take. But there's definitely guys on here right now that are. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of cool stuff can be done. Um, and, and you can actually get into it fairly quickly, from what I understand. Um, it's not like for people that are uh, like used to developing and understand, um, you know, which coding languages that they want to use and all of that. Um, apparently, it's not that it's not hard at all. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, Ruben, you were saying. So um, I'm, I'm on a like eight percent battery. Um, so I'll be quick. Um, TLDR, man, YouTube. It's it's exactly the same as every other language. Man, GoLang, Rust. Um, they're not that old, right? Like they're like. I remember having conversations. I guess it was the two thousands, but like everyone was like, "Well, I understand." Like. You know, this whole HTML5 thing is pretty new. I, I'm just going to go with PHP because it's got a larger repo. And um, I just feel more comfortable with it, right? Like, like, like it, it, it evolves, right? Um, I think was, there was an interesting thing that you said earlier, CFI, in terms of, like, um, the sort of cycles, right? And how every cycle, it seems like there's a 10x in the population. And by extension, 90% of the population is a newbie. So I wonder, right, to the extent where there is, like, 8 billion people, right? And maybe five billion have access to the internet, and three and a half of those are gamers, right? Um, and there's what, like six hundred, somewhere between six and eight hundred million wallets total, of which how many are like fractionalized wallets, which are actually just one person, right? So the population is pretty small. I, I, if I had to guess, I would say point zero one percent of the population have a wallet of any kind on any chain. Which means that that 90% newbie cycle is going to be a while. Now, the question is, what's the incubation period, right? Because if it takes five cycles for someone to go to a vet and become fam and familiarize themselves with the language, that means at minimum, we've got five, five cycles multiplied by, uh, you know, it goes to, from like 0 0.01 to 0 0.1 to 1% to 10%, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, but, but if there's a way to sort of close that gap and there's like a permutation, there's like a, a permeation that happens over time as the, the lexicon sort of grows. Um, before, 
I mean, I, I feel like yeah, what, what, what everyone's what everyone's always asking is, are we in a super cycle yet? Like, are we in that right, sort right, of saturation right, right. phase? Yeah. And I think the argument's going to be like in in some ways, I think wallet growth, it seems like we're getting there. On the other hand, um, like if you were to say, wait, usually if you're in adoption super, super cycle, let's say for smartphones, you, you you know that the systems are usable by practically everybody like right. with an IQ of like, let's say 80. And like, it's not there yet. It's just not there yet. Well, okay. What's the IQ required for someone to use an Android phone? Because, I mean, most people, when they use Android phones, they don't know they're using Linux, but they're using Linux, right? Our, right. By volume, the most popular exactly. operating system in the world. But it's invisible. Like, to, to, to me, I think um, the layer, the, the L2s and the L3s are going to be where the real adoption happens. And that doesn't feel like it's a, uh, a crypto adoption conversation that feels like is this useful or not conversation like it should be invisible um yeah but it's uh, um, yeah it, it, sorry i get excited it's definitely like the uh the, the, the primary and the most useful application of crypto today is still speculation and gambling um which is why i was actually really interested uh existential kev you have a project which is a DeFi sports token which is really interesting to me. Um, and I was wondering just very simply if you, if you could share with us how that works and how, if, whether you need like gambling licenses and that sort of thing, because it's something that's pretty relevant at the moment with the World Cup and whatnot are, coming up. Are, are you going to let me show my token real quick? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe not, the <laughs> maybe maybe not show it, but just the protocol of how it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, we wanted to tokenize uh, athlete performance. I don't think it's that new. Um, I've seen maybe at least one other project doing it, but it didn't look like they were doing like a prediction strike. I don't think they were doing crypto. Um, but basically, like if uh, I think everybody knows, like LeBron James, um, we have LeBron, like a, a short and a long token on LeBron James. And these are tokens like any other token, you mint them, et cetera. And you would basically uh, mint them and, uh, you know, collateralize them with our token, giving our token uh, utility per se. And as the season goes on, we have an indicator basically saying if the season ends right now, we would cash you out at this price for the token. And it would basically be based on how much we're, how much we're minted, you know, how much, how much of the bag of the total invested into this uh, long and short pair would be um, allocated towards the longs and how much would be allocated towards the shorts. And, uh, and so at the end of the season, we'd honor that. But during the season, uh, it can go any which way. It's just coin speculation if you think this, this uh, player is going to do really well or really shit. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, the, we act as just basically like a, an exchange in letting that game occur. Um, now, as far as whether we need a gambling license um luckily sports betting is becoming a lot more uh legal in the united states uh but uh we've kind of opted we had this investment from a, a layer two roll-up with sportx uh who invested in our in our seed <laughs> and the they, and we kind of the way followed, you're describing uh, it you're not actually advocating gambling specifically you're just saying people can yeah buy we don't use the g word 
Yeah, we don't yeah. use the G word. We use the P word. Yeah. It's prediction markets. These are prediction, prediction yeah, markets. <laughs> of course, they, we don't we don't gamble here. We just allow you. We have an indicator, and you get to say, "Hey, is this token valuable or not?" Um, and uh, yeah, so we've just kind of followed them. If you ever see Sportex uh, SX .bet, they call themselves SX Network now. They they basically geofence in most countries, <laughs> except for a few, which they've uh, they've they know for sure that they wouldn't get in trouble. So we followed that for now. And then we'll kind of, uh, as soon as we get to a point where we have uh, money to defend ourselves, if we get sued, um, we'll, we'll dabble in these legal states and see if uh, we can mm, do some KYC stuff. Yeah. So it looks like a Web3 builder has been having his hand up for a while, or is that not? Yeah, anyway. I'm being right over here. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I jumped in here because you guys were talking about education and that's what we do. But interestingly enough, my, my first project way back when on Polygon was a predictive market game that generated money for charity. So I enjoyed listening to that uh, shill of that project. That's very interesting. And um, yes, it, these are predictive markets where we make predictions based on skill and technical analysis. Uh, we don't use the B or the G word uh, at all. But I wanted to chime in on the education part, if I can take a quick minute, because um, this is something that we're doing. Um, you know, I spent the first six months of 2022 doing exactly what you guys are talking about, um, aggregating all the good content out there. Um, originally, we were Terra Builders Alliance. And um, the wiki that was mentioned is something that we have prepared uh, that's going to be a future cohort project to uh, develop and maintain. Because one of the things that's, you know, most of the projects and most of the code, and most of the tech out there that we're living in right now was created by individuals sitting at their computer, hacking around, making shit up. And, um, you know, to, in order to galvanize that and make a more a palatable place for normies to come and ape in. Um, we we need some standardization. We need some clean process. And there's a lot of really good education programs out there. There's a lot of self-directed stuff that's great. There's a lot of stuff for videos. YouTube is chock full. Um, there's a lot of good documentation. You know, what some people, especially someone new, doesn't understand is what's good and what's not. And so that's where we come in. We're helping with that. I, I retired from 30 years as a professional educator here in the state, states and private schools to do this because uh, it's fun as shit. And um, so, but, you know, our main thing is an institute. We have like a master's level institute. So once people have done these other academies, Cosmosm Academy, Interchain Academy, et cetera, um, if they show the resilience and, and do that and they still want to um, continue on, our, our course is a, is a 10-week um, hybrid course. It is, and, and yeah, I'm showing this on here, but it's relevant. Um, but I'll own that. Uh, it, so hybrid meaning um, it's four and a half hours of live work a week with a cohort of, of peers that are homogeneously engineered to uh, as far as acumen and interests and time zone um, with expert uh, facilitators, instructors. Our four instructors are all senior blockchain engineers who have built named projects that are very successful so what like for your for your um uh, group like if someone wants to learn something from you guys um like what level should they be at before like that you feel like someone would be at a level like you do beginner all the way up or what no so um i mean personally 
uh, I, I geek on the whole process. So like currently I'm in the hero NFT discord. There's a bunch of people that are totally new and I'm helping them along. That's not our program. That's more something I like to do. Um, so in all honesty, um, my personal Twitter is Japper Jam, J-A-P-A-R-J-A-M. If you want to, if you ping me, I will respond to you. I'll ask you how you learn, what you like to do, what you're interested in, and I'll send you some stuff. Yeah. Um, if you stick with it long enough, I'll, I'll get you into the program. But as far as WBA, I mean, you have to have some chops. You got to know what you're doing because we move really fast. We we accepted um, first cohort. We accepted less than a third of the applicants. Now we have over a hundred applicants for about thirty to forty slots. Wow. So, and we have a lot of Web two engineers with backgrounds that are coming to us to get to, you know, to break into web three, um, to do this. And they're coming to cosmos for now, but you know, we could actually serve any rust based chain. That's our, you know, that's our, our ethos. You guys were working with spark IBC, right? Yep. Yep. We've got a handful of spark guys. Timmy's awesome. Um, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I, I love, I love the cosmos. Um, I love the tech. It is gold standard tech. I mean, you look at the Tendermint core, it's the best. Uh, you look at Cosmosm and, and, and Rust. It, these are the best. And, and I, you know, I am a little biased, but I think it's better than Ethereum, uh, the, the tech stack. Um, you don't hear about as much shit happening over here. Um, and, and, uh, but, you know, the, the gift and the curse of Cosmos, and I'll say it out loud, I don't mind, because I think that we're an open community, is the gift is everybody could have their own app chain. The curse is everybody could have their own app chain. So from a funding standpoint, I can't go to the Cosmos Foundation and ask for a big grant because they have this huge pool. Um, I've got to try to nickel and dime across the different um, chains because our course is free. For people that get in, we don't charge the cadets. Now, if we place them on the back end, we do get a commission. That's our, our revenue model. We're not in this to get rich. We're in this to build the ecosystem. Um, and first cohort, raw, doing this for the first time, we've got about 10 really good proof of concepts that next week is the last week of the course um, that these things are going to come out. We have people recruiting our cadets, word is spreading, and we're growing. But, you know, um, we, we need a little galvanization. Um, but it's exciting. And, and look, yeah, I was going to ask you, do you have like a system to place Yep. Like do you, you probably have people asking you like, Hey, we need some people that can do this level of development. And you're like, yeah, we got this guy. He exactly. Stuff this with happened it, about three hours ago. I'm not going to name drop, but one of the biggest people in all of Cosmos who's built multiple projects, including a chain reached out to me and said, I need someone. And I, I and within five minutes, I gave him three names and had him in a discord with one of the guys. Yeah, this is, this is great work. I appreciate what you guys are doing. I, I pinned one of your tweets up at the top. Just thank you. And, and, you said um, it's it's ten weeks or twelve weeks the course. So now, so the first one around, you know, look, we're um, I, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and 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 I was a, a school administrator and a curriculum designer, so I understand that first time out's going to be rough. And and fortunately, we got the right instructors, and we got a really good group of humans in the, in the rooms to be able to um, excel. I mean, six weeks into it, we were building twin test chains and relayers between it to see what we like to use between the Hermes relayer and the TS and, you know, our cadets are doing PRs and making contributions and, um, and, and, you know, do important work with ICS and stuff like that. Second cohort, we're going to go to eight weeks because I have a lot of the people that have applied a are, 
our applicant pool is is very very high level now. They're going to come in with a better foundation, um, and the people that we deferred from the first round because we don't reject anybody who's willing to learn have been working on the areas that I've been prescribing to them on a weekly basis that they needed to work on to get into the next cohort. So, um, you know that that's how it works. The next cohort's coming up in November, and um, you know it's it's a very high level. Uh, but we will, anybody who wants to learn, I will not turn away. Even if I have to work with that person once a week to, you know, get their rush foundation to a place or to get their understanding of Cosmosm architecture, what have you. Thanks for checking out another episode of the ether. That was part one of a two part chip space. We are the cosmos recorded on Friday, October 7th, 2022 for Terraspaces.org. I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Laying there at night while I'm counting sheep Brain on repeat, no amount of please Would you shut the fuck up? Yo, I'm trying to sleep Not till you write it down to remind your genius ass in the morning When you wake up to realize it was nothing more than a weird dream And you feel like everybody's on the tape But things aren't always what they seem What's real to me isn't real to you Living this reality is barely new And if you've seen this little feud You'd be filling up your gas tanks too We're living in a fucking simulation of a simulation Don't look back or you'll get sucked into the miscommunication All this dumb fucking ruckus Drink bleach here Keep a tight demeanor and swing for the bleachers This ball is crushed I feel like I wanna kick the bucket over, spill the fun, release some of the means of hunting All these silly motherfuckers coming at us like we don't got a bunch of guns Or something, these are fucked up times we're living in and I don't need the judgment Free the suffer, no need to suffer, the leaders busted freedom, hunter disagreements Wander cold streets filled with screaming bottom feeders Take me to your leaders, blasting propaganda through the speakers So if you wanna build, let's build but if you wanna steal, get buried in the field Double duty at the rockin' Rudy Coppin' fruity, not a newbie Got the rubies hostile looking like Chewbacca Threw me through the window, fucking sue me Now I'm looking all hypnotic bougie With a bunch of suckers I went to school with who barely knew me Students sitting here fucking clueless Looking at the next duck trying to see who the goose is Should've paid more attention to the hole in the boat Now tell me why y'all still vote